Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm the fabulous Baroness Munchana. I'm Shanna. I didn't <laughs> earn a title of Baroness. I, I, I'm a faker. I'm not a noble woman at all. Uh, I wanted to start by briefly mentioning I had uh, we, we, we'd been uh, talking in the previous episode uh, about the book Lepterik was based on and we didn't have it written down. Uh, so I looked it up. It, it's not a Nikolai Gogol, uh, as I had thought. It is a Milovan Glishik, I believe it's pronounced. And it's called okay. After 90 Years, The Story of Serbian Vampire Sava Savanovic. Cool. Uh, but this week, we are discussing uh, the 1972 film Female Prisoner number 701, Scorpion, first in the Female Prisoner 701 series, uh, directed by Shunya Ito. Now, something did they ever actually call her Scorpion in the movie? I don't think they do. Never mentioned. Uh, never <laughs> even the slightest reference to a scorpion or yeah. any imagery of a scorpion. Yeah, it's weird. There's no scorpion in there. Never. Not not a single instance. <laughs> uh, uh, I like that right at the beginning, and, and you mentioned this in the chat earlier about the, the disclaimer that this is fictional. Right this out of is the a stuff. fictional it's prison. A fictional this prison. <laughs> any resemblance to real prisons is purely coincidental. And I'm just like, is it? It's. I mean, it's not based on a specific one, right? And, and yeah, it, that's <laughs> that's that's got to be what it is. This is a pretty political film, and and there's a lot oh, of yeah. like it's it's very countercultural. Uh, like notably, it opens with a shot of the Japanese flag, uh, just fluttering and swelling patriotic music. It's the Japanese national anthem playing. Yeah, yeah, it was. The way the imagery was presented, I was expecting it to be the uh, other Japanese flag flying. Right. Yeah. And, then, uh, <laughs> and we we have someone in a suit who's reading a commendation to all of these prison guards. And oh, like, yeah. The moment the certificate is handed over, the siren sounds, and we just have, like, these great comic book shots of just everyone's head turning at the same time. Yep. Yeah, so it's great. They They're doing this ceremony to give themselves a pat on the back for being a real good prison and being just uh, the best guards. Yeah. Being the best cards and uh, exceeding their quota of human rights violations by a shocking 200%. Oh, they're so far, so far ahead of the curve. They are, they are just nailing it on human rights violations. They are doing so many. And so like the certificate is handed over the siren sounds and just they drop the paper and it's trampled as just everyone starts running because it's a daylight breakout, <laughs> a daylight breakout. <laughs> and, and then we have this one, like one dude with, with in a suit with glasses, just taking the certificate and just brushing it off. Like our precious thing. Like just I, I really love just the immediate turn of, uh, well, just also the concept that it's all of these guys who are giving them their themselves this self-congratulatory ceremony. And oh, yeah, then, they're absolutely just patting themselves on the back. Yeah, and then... Good job, us. A breakout takes place while they're doing it, and like, they just trample the shit out of their <laughs> uh, important certificate. Yep. Uh, so th this is our introduction to 
our main character, although we don't get her name for a while. It's her and another woman escaping through this marshy area pursued by the guards and dogs. Yeah, and the other prisoner's like, oh yeah, she's the only one who would do something like this. It's definitely her. And as we find out, this woman breaks out of jail a lot. Well, to be fair, I, I don't think this other prisoner is even able to speak, right? She is The other one? Don't... I don't think so. Yeah, she she is the one who is mute, I believe. Uh, I, I, this I is Yuki? Think so. Yeah, Yuki is the other prisoner. Yeah. Um, as uh, far as she... I know, just her friend. Yeah, they, they just are, are buds. Uh, and so th- this is a very bizarre thing that's noted. So not, not that she starts her period is not the thing that's bizarre, but that then uh, Matsu, our main character, says, don't worry. You just haven't had it for a while because you've been locked up. Yeah, because I guess because it just stops when you're in it prison. It just stops right? when yeah, you're that's in jail. A, hmm. That was such I a mean, weird I, line. I, I was like taken aback by that. Like, as soon as you me? get out, <laughs> and then as soon as you get out of the grounds or like get far enough away, it's like yeah, you can have triggered. your period. It, it's like I okay, I understand. Maybe like. Like your cycle can probably get messed up in jail. Sure, I believe oh, that. Yeah, definitely. But like the idea that this prison has an anti-period force field, and you know what? I mean, <laughs> they would if they could. I don't know. I feel like they would have more of a period-generating force field. But like the the thing oh, is, oh, they would. <laughs> this whole thing, like. It's it's part of just the weird heightened reality of this whole jail and how everything is like this is based on a comic from the period. Like I think this is pre even though them being called mangas. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I this is based on a comic, so it has a lot of that really weird heightened absurdity and it will just go totally experimental at various Oh yes. Times. Yeah. At, at weird times too. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like the artfully done gang rape scene that we're going to get to fairly soon. Well, the whole origin story is incredible. Yeah, the origin, yeah. Uh, but of course, so because she has started her period, the dogs are able to follow them much more easily because there's a trail. Uh, and <laughs> as you mentioned, uh, uh, does the dog die? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. A dog jumps on Yuki and they just beat it to death with a pipe. Real hardcore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they beat the shit out of this dog. It dies. And then this part is kind of just weirdly comic and surreal where how they get cornered by the guard, because this one guard with shades, who's sort of one of the two central guards. I'm, I'm trying to think of who this guy reminds me of. And the closest I come to is I, I want to say uh, that. That curdle, uh, Gaddafi. Oh, Gaddafi. With the, with the shades and the curly hair. He does kind of have the the same shades, I guess. Yeah. But like yeah. the the way this guy just he's he is in an isolated clump of grass that's surrounded by water. Mm-hmm. And he just like steps out of it with a shotgun. Is like, how did he know to be in that particular clump of grass at the edge of this marsh? That's so crazy. And again, just really heightened and ridiculous. He's the super guard. He's sort of the super guard. No, he's he kind, kind of, of an it. idiot because 
it's the other guy who gets the glass in the eye later and who is pretty hardcore. This guy's sort of yeah. the dumb second in command. He's a guard who gets a name tag. True. I don't yeah, know I mean, what his name is, but he has one. I have the name somewhere in here, but not yet. Because <laughs> <I>, <laughs> you don't hear it for quite a while yet. But yeah. you do eventually hear it, which makes him one of the only notable guards, because most of them are just generic. Yeah, well, I mean, he has a special... He has a unique appearance. He's allowed to add flair to his uniform in the form of uh, sunglasses. Exactly. He's the most beautiful. Uh, Uh, (laughs) Of the guards. Oh, yeah, Uh, okay. So uh, he's distracted by a bird taking off, and they manage to wrestle his gun away. But then, of course, all of the other guards show up, uh, and they're captured. Uh, So Scorpion, uh, a.k.a. full name uh, Nami Matsushima, uh, but mainly she's referred to as Matsu through the rest of the movie. Uh, never referred to as Scorpion. Never once. It never comes <laughs> up. There's no Scorpion in the origin story. You figure they could have like just dropped one in there considering everything else that happens, but that's all right. Yeah. Maybe it'll be explained in the second movie. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I watched all the special features on the disc. Uh, this is the Arrow box set, of course. And uh, I, I believe in one of the special features they mention, like they talk about the scorpion thing about a me- as just about it as a metaphor, uh, and that it's just never mentioned in any of the movies or explained in any way. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, cool. Okay, well, <laughs> as long. Whoa! Oh my gosh, Cat. Kitty. Yeah. Uh, I could hear her. Uh, so. Oh, yeah. So I I mentioned the names here because this is when the title just dramatically fills the entire screen as she's knocked to the ground and they're beating her with the rifles. And it's just like it zooms into her angry, angry face. And we get a lot of zooms into that face. Oh, she has the most amazing death glare. Oh, my gosh. Perfect. Oh, my God. And of course, that's what fills the screen for the titles. And that all pops up. Uh, really weird opening titles create or opening titles sequence where we have it, it's it's a sideways shot first this long line of nude prisoners oh and yeah this uh this platform this thing that's clearly <laughs> serves no practical purpose and is just to demoralize the prisoners it doesn't do it doesn't do anything else well i i think the concept is that this is sort of a really brutalist version of like the, the cavity search or just like the, the oh. because like yeah, they have to I, all get completely naked and they have to step over a series of raised bars and like climb through monkey bars on the top at the same time. So, you know, people can and like there's a bunch of male guards standing at the bottom looking up at them. Yeah, looking up through their well, yeah. So through the grating, okay, yeah. yeah, I guess so. That's like I think that's the how concept. How can we but... make the cavity search even more dehumanizing? Just the most possibly dehumanizing way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. the opening credits. <laughs> um, that that's basically the entire mo of the prison. How can we do this but make it even more dehumanizing? It reminds me a great deal of the prison in Riccio, the story of Ricky. Oh, even that that one has a one-eyed warden, too. And they also do the digging punishments. Oh. 
Uh, right? I yeah, gotta I watched that again. It's been a while. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. That, that's one that should definitely uh, show up sometime in at least the inactive stacks. Uh, okay. Such a great movie. Uh, and I do kind of feel like it's probably semi-based on this or like it might be specifically set in kind of a riff on the same prison. Because, I mean, this is a pretty influential movie. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, they're going over these bars and stuff. And then the guards are chewed out over the breakout. Their superiors slap all of them. Oh, is this scene kind of is amazing because the the warden chews out uh, Glass's guard who mm-hmm. goes down the line and slaps all of his subordinates. And when he gets to Sunglasses guard, Sunglasses guard goes down the line and slaps all his subordinates. And it cuts to the next thing. But I like to imagine that they did. They just kept doing this, going down the line. And the whole thing took like half an hour. Yeah, it's trickle-down punishment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very great. Oh, it, this is this is also very much a um, authority gets people to fight each other so that they're, they're not going to ever actually confront the actual problem scenario. Yeah, bureauc- bureaucratic nonsense to kind of make everyone just fight themselves and just mm-hmm. ruin everything. Uh, everyone's meals are restricted for 17 days. Oh, uh, yeah, the punishments are just brutal. Well, because everyone gets punished so that the other prisoners will punish the person who uh, made the mistake or did yeah. whatever the thing is. Yeah, and they even they even have special uniforms for uh, the the compliant prisoners, the, the snitches, the ones that are like... The aides or the trustees, aides, the, I guess. Yeah, the ones who will sell you out to the guards because they they're prisoners that have special privileges, basically. Yeah, and I feel like maybe they're the kitchen staff initially because they're the ones who are all in the kitchen when they oh, go and bust true. up the kitchen. And then after this, they're not there, but everyone's on restricted meals and they're not in the kitchen anymore. So they might be, but yeah, they are either way. They're aids they have kind of special privileges for a little while yeah they, but they are still prisoners of course yeah yeah uh and so we we have the prisoners all clattering their plates in protest in the mess hall uh but the and this is when like the the orange ones are like hey this is all matsu's fault so uh you know punishment needs to roll downhill to matsu for this and it does oh, it well like does. she's she is currently in solitary, uh, hogtied in a dripping wet concrete empty room. <laughs> yep. Um, her soup is being fed to her by just uh, dumping it on the floor. Just kind of near her face, yeah. Near just to her taunt face, her. kind of. Uh, and the this it's like one of these kitchen staff or you know orange uh, uh, prisoners uh, who. I, by the way, the the uniforms are kind of interesting. They're like tie dye. Yeah, they're really they're really weird uniforms. They're like they're just like really really long shirts. Yeah, just like like kind of a night dress kind of thing. But yeah. they're uh, they're tie dye stripes, so they have the white tie dye elements, and then the rest of it is blue or orange. Uh huh. Yeah, cool. yeah, that. Yeah, I, I never noticed that until you mentioned it. But yeah, it's not like solid blue and solid orange. Mm-hmm. And that's 
I, I kind of, I didn't even think about it, but I guess I had attributed it to just their uniforms getting roughed up. But yeah, maybe. I really don't know. But it does or look like it's a they have shitty laundry facilities. I would presume they have to make them themselves because we do later see them oh. all in that sewing sweatshop, right? Yeah, you know, that's probably it. That's probably yeah. it. I, <laughs> yeah, like these prisoners are going to get anything provided to them by anyone. Ooh. Right. So, of course, they're, uh, the, one of them, the the uh, aides, is just, like, coming and pouring the food on the floor next to her. And she, like, soaks a towel in, like, the dripping water and, like, oh, yeah. lays She's it like, over. Oh, you're, you're shivering. Let me uh, cover you up. And, oh. Yeah. Like, she, so she's covered up in this, like, soaking wet towel. It's probably freezing. Yeah. And, like, she's laughing. Like, the... The aide is just laughing at her, and then Matsu looks up and smiles at her. I think this is one of the few times we see her <laughs> smile in the entire movie. And she stops laughing instantly. She's terrified. Yeah. yeah. Like, the guard outside the, the cell starts laughing at her. Like, oh, you're in trouble now. Yeah, see, that's the thing about these orange people. They, they kiss so much ass, but they are still very clearly and reminded at every opportunity that they're below even the lowest guard. Oh, yeah, by far. So, like, their privileges that they get can't be that great. Well, it's it's, it's so this is a very political movie and it's sort of all about these bureaucracies and the, the way Japan is run in a lot of bureaucracies. Like Japan is a very bureaucratic government and uh, just system in terms of like the corporate bureaucracy as well. And I kind of feel like it's sort of skewering that. In a way. Okay. Okay. Because, like, just everyone here is in some sort of bureaucracy, and the shit is just constantly rolling downhill on everybody. Both figuratively and literally. Yeah. So, the warden shows up. He's like, Prisoner 701, because of your bullshit attempt to escape, all of your fellow inmates are being punished. And... I, I do like that that's his real his actual wording because you yeah. have bullshit attempt bullshit to escape. attempt to escape. <laughs> uh, the warden's a real piece of work. Oh man, they all are. They're all bad. They all are. They're. Oh, man. we haven't even like mentioned the worst one yet. No, because like he hasn't really had much to do. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we th- this is where we get the origin story. We flash back three years. And Matsu was in love with Sugimi, a narcotics officer. A narcotics officer. This on guy. The, on the on, marijuana squad. On the marijuana <laughs> squad. Uh, so, so, you can, so you can imagine this guy's already a piece of work. Because, I mean, yeah. you have to be to arrest people for marijuana. Sorry. I, yeah, come on. Regardless of where you stand <laughs> on the all cops or bastards scale. You have to be a bastard to arrest someone for marijuana and incarcerate them for marijuana. So (laughs) it's a bastard thing. It is. So there I I love the way the origin story is told because it's it's done in the style of like a dream sequence. It's very abstract. Uh, It's very imagistic. We have a lot of really cool use of color and transition. It's sort of done like a stage play. It's. Definitely reminded me of a stage play, especially um, uh, towards the end when the... When the, the, the transitions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
So first, we, we have Sugimi unrolling her in a sheet in an all-blue room. There's wind blowing. Yeah, this is the, I guess, the romantic part where everything's good. Yeah, so, like, he takes her virginity, and this is represented by a shot of the sheet, and we see a spot of blood spread on the white sheet. And <laughs> on it, the white sheet, it looks like it, it looks like the J- Japanese flag. Again, yeah, and the <laughs> the imagery of the flag is just repeating throughout the movie in yep. a lot of interesting ways. Uh, and then after this, he asks her to help him out with a sting operation. Yeah, um, your <laughs> boyfriend ever asks you to help to get involved with any drug operation, undercover or not, don't do it. It's probably don't a bad it. idea. Um, and so just be like, just be like, hey, I know you want to involve me in your life, but I really think we need to set some boundaries. Uh, you need to set some boundaries. Leave your job at the office. Or maybe, you know, just get the fuck out of there. Uh, but like. What's really cool is in this blue space, uh, shadows appear behind them of tables and a bunch of people like talking at the tables. Yeah. And it ends up being the nightclub. And then like the, the scene transitions by just zooming into the shadows. And then we have her entering from a door at the back. And it's this nightclub, the Blue Lagoon, where she has to go in undercover for her cop boyfriend. Oh, God. And, of course, the gangsters immediately know she's with the police. Immediately. And they take her. Um, well, here's the gang rape scene. Yeah, it's shot from below this uh, with is a, a clear floor. Yeah, this, I think, is like, might be the only way to shoot a gang rape scene that I would actually, I mean, I don't like a gang rape scene, but that right. would actually be, because you're focusing on the face of, her and like the horrible people doing it to her like this is the only angle you'd be able to see all that from yeah and it's the only thing you see like it's Uh it's it's you know it's a gruesome scene but it's again it's very abstract like you're you're just kind of getting an experiential view of it rather than a voyeuristic view of it uh Uh, so then of course sugimi arrives uh, and he shoots one of the gangsters and then he busts the rest of them for weed and rape because that was kind of the plan all along. Yep. And the way he says it is like, you guys are all under arrest for marijuana <laughs> and also rape and also rape. Yeah. I mean, may as well throw that in there. It really, though, is it's the marijuana. That's that's all. That's all he's. And that's all like, they're really in jail for. Yeah. I mean, basically. And then he like pulls a lever and the wall spins around and like (laughs) it's Sugimi being paid off by his boss because he's crooked of course as well yeah so so i never quite figured out who that guy was supposed to be is he the like the police commissioner i'm not sure he is like is he the guy in charge he's the guy in charge we know that he he is the guy that Sugimi reports to i think he is police uh but i'm not totally sure uh he will not be showing up in further films, so it doesn't matter. But like, yep. Nope. <laughs> he, <laughs> no, he whoever he is, he was in charge of Sugimi. Um, yeah. And so he gives Sugimi a fistful of dollars. Yeah. And then and... he spins, he goes back to her, like through the spinning door, and like she's still there on the glass floor. 
Yeah, well, they like they can see her from the police commissioner's office. Yeah, because like this and, is all still taking place yeah. in the same room. Yeah, and he just just he's making it rain. A, yeah, tosses like a few dollar bills onto him, onto uh, onto her. Yeah, and she turns over and she gives her amazing death stare at the screen, and the floor tiles all glow red around her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, in the origin story, the scene changes, and we see the outside of the police department. And she goes and attacks him with a knife dressed in the exact same ripped up uh, dress that she was wearing when she got gang raped. Yep, she's still got one breast exposed. Although first she shows up in a black and red cloak, which she oh, yeah, right. she has him. the She has like the freaking cool vampire cloak. Yeah, and she throws it at him and then she like comes at him with the butcher knife. Yep, yeah. And uh, it course, doesn't get him here. Nope. And we cut to the present with all of the orange prison aid ladies just sitting in a strawberry patch. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, I I don't really get what was going on here, but they seem to just be like picking strawberries and eating them and painting their lips red with them. Yep, yep. Um, Prison aid, that's that's what I'm going to call that shade of orange. (laughs) And the the one of them who was taunting Matsu before, like pouring the the her food on the floor and uh, uh, putting the towel on her, uh, she goes to feed them again. Uh, she she has like this huge vat of miso soup that's just boiling hot. Mm-hmm. Hey, at least uh, they at least they heated it up. That was nice. Uh, yeah, and so she <laughs> she goes to the neighbor first. And just pours some hot miso soup on her, makes her yep. scream. You know, just 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 to be an asshole. Oh yeah, just just to you know try to be as dehumanizing as possible. And then she How goes. How could we dehumanize uh, feeding someone miso soup? And of course, a like few ways. Matsu still has the wet towel on her because like she can't yep. get it off of her. Like she. Oh yeah, because she's she's hog tied the whole time. <laughs> Uh, and she starts to pour it on Matsu as well, like some of the, the hot soup. Uh, but she is quiet. Like, she won't make any show of it. And she gets the aid to kind of get closer. And when her foot's on the wet towel, she pulls it out. And then the aid is just horribly, horribly burned by the entire vat of hot soup. Just oh, being... yeah. The whole thing just comes down right on her. Yeah. Head down uh all the uh, way and she yeah. is just awfully burned <laughs> yeah like she's taken away on a stretcher she her all of screaming her screaming and is red, screaming yeah yeah and then of course we cut to a whole bunch of guards who just like all have their feet on matsu They're, like kind of all just like stomping on her like they have their feet on her and just, like are pressing down uh, and, or, and are hitting her with batons to see like how did you do that how did you make her spill that <laughs> and of course she's not talking she doesn't talk a lot in this movie she has very very few lines yeah i think the only one she really talks to is uh yuki pretty much uh, i think maybe once with rie and she uh has a, a couple one-liners at people when she kills them <laughs> right right <laughs> that's about it all right so sugimi we we find out what he's doing now so 
I love that every time Sugimi shows up on the screen, there's this like musical sting with these like sinister trumpets, like because he's the bad guy. He's oh yeah, it's like don't forget of all all these guards are doing all this horrible stuff, but this is your bad guy. And we see him drive past a banner reading the soul and harmony of beautiful Japan. Uh, and he goes to meet with his boss again. And they're like, they, you know, they, they shoot the shit about the prison break. And they're like, yeah, I am. Matsu never testified against us at the trial. And Sugimi's like, yeah, it's because she was still in love with me. Yeah. He's just a piece yeah. of shit, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he's obviously fast-tracked for promotion and he doesn't really care about any of this stuff. He he was totally uninterested in Matsu and all of this. It, it was all just a smokescreen. Yeah, he's a little was, concerned. Yeah, because somehow, I guess he didn't know that she was like a maiden of death or something. Yeah, I guess, I, I guess she wasn't until he crossed her. But I guess. now it's like, she might break out and try to kill me. We should probably put a hit on her. Yeah, he, he is worried that she did get out of prison once and yeah. got put back in. Well, they're they're here talking about the breakouts. And it's like, well, yeah. she 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 almost got out. We we better deal with this. And so they have this girl, Katagiri, who's a former drug mule they used in the past for their other yeah. cooking business. And, and, and like, well, she's, we'll one of the, she's one of the orange aids, too. Yes. At least for now. Yeah. And so here's where we see the sewing sweatshop. Uh, and like we see a bunch of prisoners in blue working endlessly and a bunch of ladies in the orange are just like sitting in the back playing dice. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they have like a couple people in blue from Gen Pop who are like, you know, allowed to hang with them just so they can lose money to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like whatever money these prisoners have, I, I don't I don't know how money in prison works. Well, like, it sort of depends. It, it will depend on the prison, I guess. But, well, yeah, you know, guess a lot so. of places will have different things as currency. Uh, it's more of a goods currency kind of thing, typically, I guess. Mm. So one of them, uh, Masaki, is the leader of uh, the, the Orange AIDS. And the I, I don't know who this lady is. I, I don't think she ever comes up again. But, like, she's giving Masaki some attitude. And Masaki's like, yeah, you shut up because you owe me money. And, like, she kind of bullies her into betting her dinner against her debt. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, this is what – and then another This is when Rie, Rie yeah. shows up, who's sort of our other main prisoner lady. Uh, and, like, before they roll, she's like, you know, listen – this game is rigged. They're just messing with you. And she shows that they have extra hidden dice. Yeah. It's like, don't, don't bet your lunch on this. Whatever it is, it's going to be wrong. Yeah. Don't, don't bet your dinner. Cause you're really going to regret it. You're you, th- that is go- all the energy you're going to have for tomorrow because we're already on restricted, uh, food privileges. Uh, so she and Masaki get in a fight, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Masaki grabs a pair of scissors and is going to stab her. But like, Rie clearly is too tough for her. <laughs> like she has real world murder skills. Like that's what she's in here for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, the thing. We don't find out what a lot of these people are in here for. Oddly enough, it's in the trailer. Oh. Uh, if you watch the trailer on the disc, uh, each of them are shown like their name is given and the crime that they're in for in the trailer. Oh, okay. oh, but cool. yeah, it's nowhere in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, it's one of those things that doesn't really matter. Yeah, and also I think probably some of them may have just been made up by the advertising and don't actually fit. Because I yeah, think be. they give one for keto, uh, which does not make sense, but we'll get to that later. Uh, so we cut to a shower scene where everyone looks really jazzed. Like, everyone's having yeah, a really great time. <laughs> this doesn't... I'm like, okay, uh, this feels weird. It's and a as huge the guys, shower. <laughs> yeah, the, the guards are, of course, watching them and being gross about it. Because, yeah. oh yeah, the guards are watching you 24-7 and they're being gross about it 24-7. Yes, yeah, so that's what Because, you do. know, this got to be dehumanizing. Yeah. but like, Can't just <laughs> regularly leer at them. But yeah, it's it's exploitationy, of course, but everyone is just seeming to have a really good time. It's it's a shower party. Yes. <laughs> Maybe then, it's the first shower they've been allowed to have in a while. Could be. Could be. Uh, so Rie comes in, and Masaki and her crew are all loitering at the entrance, mad about what happened earlier. And one of them has a hairpin that she gives to Masaki, and they're going to plant it on Rie's uniform to make it look like she's trying to escape right like, or yeah. that she has a weapon <laughs> or uh, yeah a weapon yeah yeah and then matsu sees them do that yeah we she just, switches it <laughs> we just cut to her like we just zoom in on her in the background with like this death glare with her like perfect hair hanging over her face yeah and of course we know she switches it and mm-hmm. they know she switches it. We don't see her do it, but as soon as she, like, it, it smash cuts to Masaki getting caught by the guards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she immediately and, knows it was Matsu. <laughs> yeah. And as we see again, the guards do not go easy on the orange aids. No. Not but at like, all. She goes after her. Uh, <laughs> so we have this crazy fight scene in the shower where first, like, uh, Masaki is just chasing Matsu and then like she goes through a door and slams it in her face it's a, a door with like a glass panel at the top oh yeah <laughs> and then uh, her head goes through it so there's just glass everywhere and then just the the colors change uh, Masaki rises up in exaggerated no makeup <laughs> like no theater makeup She's she's got a shard of glass in her hand and they just start chasing around the still heavily occupied showers. Yeah, see, I, at this point, I thought she had, like, gotten glass, like, Joker scars on her face. Right, but it's like, just, like, no, yeah, this she's weird, just, exaggerated just no makeup. makeup. And I was like, oh, shit, okay. Oh, whatever, and, I'm on board for this. And, like, the, the light's all blue. We have this experimental electronic blooping for the soundtrack. Uh, and then... When the guards show up and like she's rushing down the the lane of the shower at Matsu and then she ducks and the glass shard <laughs> goes into the main guard's eye. <laughs> I think I think that guy's the warden. Oh, OK. The warden. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, like the main like the top guy. Oh, yeah. He's, he's the, the chief dude yeah. in charge. Either yeah. way. He's he's in charge. Yeah. And then immediately all of the lighting and the makeup, all of it just returns to normal. It just all subsides. But the guard, still with the shard of glass sticking out of his eye, strangles Masaki to death. This guy's kind of a badass. We don't get to see a lot of it, but he's kind of a badass. Yeah, he's clearly like 
the most capable guard. Mm-hmm. And so all of the aides get demoted. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. They yeah, lose no privileges. more privileges. And Such everyone as is, they were. Yeah. And everyone is put on this digging punishment, which is basically holes. You know that YA novel, Holes? I don't know if I saw... Oh, wait. There, There's a movie of it with Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> is that the one where, like, they've all got, like, holes that are shaped just like them? I don't know. I haven't I seen know. the movie. I read the book, and I, I took a... <laughs> I, I took a university course in YA Lit for like a pre-education program thing, and uh, I had to read the book. And they kind of like their punishments are sort of the same as like these youth punishments in in holes. Like it's sort of the same plot, which is weird because they're <laughs> sort of uplifting. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so, they're digging. <laughs> They're yeah, just they, digging holes until they're told to stop. Just this huge empty space. They're just digging holes. It's hot. There's a sun beating down and there's no purpose to it. No, they're not punishment. digging for anything. No. And and you can't stop for a second no. to even like wipe the sweat off your brow because there are like hundreds of guards watching you. Yeah. And Sugimi shows up here. He, he drives <laughs> up. <laughs> and... He wants to talk to Katagiri because he's going to put the hit on her. He he offers her parole if she kills Matsu. And it's like, make it look like an accident. Of course, she's like super into this idea because she oh, wants yeah. to kill Matsu anyway. Yeah, she hates her. Uh, everybody kind of does, except Ryu. Well, and Yuki. Actually, yeah, a lot of people, a disproportionate amount of people in this prison hate Matsu. They should all be on her side, but. Well, it's well, because it's it's the bureaucracy thing. It's the, the bureaucracy, yeah. yeah. The, it's, it's the way the wardens and the guards have it all set up. Yeah. Uh, and then Rie notices this, and she communicates it to Matsu, so they both know that Katagiri and Sugimi are in together on some sort of scheme. Uh-huh. Uh, and just randomly, Matsu is put back in solitary. The warden like throws her in there. Solitary <laughs> quotations. Solitary quote. Yeah, so I thought this was kind of funny. It's like throw her into solitary. It throws her into the thing. It's like, hey you. It's like, oh, her uh, solitary cellmate. Keto. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, this. This I is love such a crazy part. scene. This is ridiculous. So Keto's like, oh, I know you by your reputation, uh, and they they kind of like bond a little bit and then during the night keto's rubbing her back and they get it on yeah oh yeah well it's more matsu starts having sex with keto and keto isn't into it until she is and then she really is yeah like she's she's unsure about it and uh, she uh gets really into it and then like the next morning it turns out she's an undercover guard <laughs> and she yep. just wants to go back to solitary with Matsu like she's she's yep. good like no this so, is, that was great I'm I'm happy there I don't want to be a guard anymore <laughs> I, I love it because like this is also the first time we see the warden uh, post eye injury and he's yeah. got like these green sunglasses where one lens is blacked out yeah but and he he's is like, furious. <laughs> he, he's furious, but he's also kind of like, well, 
you didn't get the information out of her, so what are we going to do? And she's just like, no, let me try again, please. I just want to go back to solitary confinement and try again. And it's Yeah. (laughs) So he's like really confused as to why she's so gung-ho about it. So he rips off her uh, jacket, which I guess is just standard uniform standard procedure in this prison seems to be she's she's covered in lipstick kiss marks (laughs) and it's like uh matsu wasn't wearing lipstick i don't know where you're going i know and like again just this it's that like cartoony (laughs) comic book strain of just like heightened reality that that happens in this movie and then so, this is what I mean. Like, then he gets so mad. He's like, I he can't so believe this. <laughs> beats the shit out of her. Of course. And now, like, now and she's, she's like screaming to go back to solitary. <laughs> the whole time. Like, even though he's beating her, it's not like, stop beating me. It's like, I still want to go back to solitary. So they yeah. increase the digging punishment. <laughs> we're 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 re reshuffling the digging punishment. Everyone is in one giant hole surrounded by guards. It looks like they're all going to be group executed digging their own graves. Oh, that is really what it looks like. I didn't think about it until you said it, but oh, is really what it looks what like. like. Oh Jesus oh, Christ! Oh my God! And it's like, yep, they're digging their own mass grave here. Yeah, and so like the end of the day everyone else is allowed out but matsu has to keep digging she gets the devil's punishment she just has to keep going all night yeah uh which absolutely is something that happens in rikio that is something that ricky has to do oh yeah i i barely right? remember rikio i'm pretty i i haven't watched it in a few years but that movie absolutely rules uh, but of course, the next morning, she's still not willing to talk. I'm not really sure exactly what thing they're trying to get out of her at this point. I guess they're still about trying to figure out how she while hogtied. Yeah, uh, I guess it's still that. Yeah, that's that's what it is. It's the miso soup thing. They just want to know how but, she did it. <laughs> although at the same time, I don't think they really care. It's no. more like they just want to freaking turn her into a scapegoat yeah this is just a way to focus the energy of the prison on someone yeah uh so now because she still won't talk she has to still keep digging it's a full day already and now the other prisoners have to fill in the hole while she's still in the hole digging in out of it yep (laughs) and they're not allowed to stop until she stops yeah and like Yuki shares like a tearful look with her, but like she's like it's she she sort of uh, wordlessly communicates is like it's okay, just just keep going and you know we'll we'll get out of it. Yeah. So the pointless digging just continues endlessly in shifts. <laughs> yep, for God knows how long days. Yeah, it, probably. it just becomes a montage until we see this trio of prisoners. I think former aides who start throwing dirt at Matsu. Uh, and that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a big, big mistake. Uh, you and cannot she, ruin Matsu's perfect hair. And like, she looks up and like, they're, you know, way up above her. And she noticed one of them has slightly tenuous footing. Like she's got her <laughs> foot on a rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Matsu, you know, she's, she's not breaking any rules. She keeps digging like she's supposed to. 
Yep, she she's she like jams the shovel into the wall and uh, it caves. The lady falls and her head hits a rock. She starts foaming at the mouth. Oh, yeah, that's right. She foams at the mouth and presumably uh, she dies. I'm sure. I mean, presumably, yeah, rip that lady. Uh, she should not have thrown dirt at that soon. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, t- more time passes. Everyone is totally exhausted. The guards are whipping people for slacking. But like Matsu is still going and finally she passes out. And then the one of the guards uh, goes down to like beat her up for passing out. Yeah, he and, starts hitting her with the rifle butt. Yeah, even though she's been work, you know. And I, yeah. I think this is the point where, oh, is it Yuki or is it? Yeah, um, it's Yuki. Yeah, she's had enough, I think. Yeah, and she slashes the back of his neck with a shovel, which is such a cool shot. Like, you just see her, like, swing it, and there's, like, a pause, and then just blood starts spraying up from behind his neck. It looks yeah, great. it's so good. And then, of course, the guards start shooting. Uh, Yuki is shot, uh, but not killed yet. <laughs> yeah. But, of course, there's a lot more shovels than there are guns here. <laughs> yeah, so at this point, the prisoners kind of start to realize, like, hey, yeah, they just not that get shovel. shot right now. <laughs> well, as demonstrated, also, this, that like, shovel did some fucking damage just that now. That shovel can right? kill people. The Why whole sky turns red. Shit? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, all right, you know, screw it. Riot time. Riot uh, time. And all the guards start getting beaten and slashed with shovels. Uh, There are some stray shots and a few prisoners are shot during this, but they start acquiring guns as well. Uh, Yuki gets shot again because Katagiri gets a gun and shoots at Matsu and Yuki dives in front of the shot. Uh, And somehow they end up getting away from the from the riot. Well, like Rie shows up where Katagiri is, where she's about to shoot at, shoot at them again. And she takes her away. She's like, it was like, I want to show you something. I I don't even know what it is because we don't see what she takes her to show or whatever, but I I guess it's to start barricading for the riot or whatever. Yeah. Cause they, they've kidnapped some guards and taken them into like a storage area. Yeah. They're in like the stock room or whatever. Uh, And of course, we we so we cut to Yuki and Matsu. They're holding each other, and uh, Yuki writes Katagiri in her own blood on Matsu's arm, and then dies. Uh, so now, excuse me. Oh, sorry. I was like dun dun dun. Right, and then of course, now she knows that uh, it was Katagiri who is out to kill her. And then the sky fades down from red to orange to blue, and we get a big crash of lightning, but like stage animation lightning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so cool. Yeah, I, I like the I like like the sky boxes that they use here. They're great. Uh, <laughs> like it, it doesn't look realistic, but it's so no, it, expressive for the way the movie works. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it just switches between ultra grungy realistic prison stuff and then weird trippy psychedelic color stuff like at the drop of a hat yeah and it's always extremely heightened like Uh even though like the prison stuff is grimy in concept like the the reality of it is very gruesome 
it never feels that way because it has that really weird comic book energy to it pretty much all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like, even as intense as a lot of it is. Uh, so the prisoners have themselves all barricaded in with the hostages, and uh, Furuya is the sunglasses cop from the marsh with oh, the okay. shotgun. Uh, he's the shotgun cop, because I think he's the only one who has the shotgun. Right. Uh, and he, he's just firing at the, the prisoners <laughs> at the prisoners in the barricade, but the one-eyed guy, he stops him. He's like, okay, no, no, well, we'll figure this out. We're we're gonna get things going, and yeah, so so that guy's solution only ever seems to just be shoot things. Yes, he's the gun guard. Yeah, he's well, yeah, he's the shotgun, shotgun cop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we we have Atsuka from the prisoners as sort of the de facto leader, and she demands food and an end to the beatings and slave labor. And it comes to the guards and like, those demands are totally unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> totally unreasonable. <laughs> is literally what they call them. <laughs> An end to beatings and slave labor and feed us. <laughs> not reasonable. Absolutely not. That's, no, Out no. of the question. No, absolutely. That's ridiculous. And we see the hostage guards being surrounded by nude prisoners and assaulted, of course. Oh, yeah. The... the... The guard gang rape. I I forgot about this. Yeah, because you got to throw it in there. Uh, yeah, again, just yeah. very heightened. It's just background, basically. Uh, and then <laughs> someone realizes that Matsu isn't there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, it's like, what the hell? How how can she... Uh, how is she not in with us, dealing with this shit with us, when it's all her fault? Yeah, and Katagiri's like, hey, it was her fault all along. Why isn't she here? Let's find her and beat her up. And they add sending Matsu in to the list of demands. Like, Atsuka goes and like, yeah, and send Matsu in here. And the guards, of course, are like, well, sure, we'll do that. Fine, whatever. Yeah, the guards like, well, we're not going to send food or do any of those other things, but we will send you Matsu. We'll, we'll totally just give you a, a prisoner to kill. That's cool. Whatever. Yeah, just just don't <laughs> eat her. And I mean, we... <laughs> there, there's a really great sequence of her walking across the field or, or, or like the no man's land area in the rain there's lightning yeah and of course so she gets there they tie her up they raise her from the roof with chains they whip her they beat her like a pinata uh yep, uh-huh. gets a light bulb and burns her with it oh right oh my god yeah so a lot of the torture sequences I did have to kind of look away from, so I only sort of like half watched them. There, there's not a lot to them. They're like they're they they are unpleasant, but they're also they're, just kind of like drawn out too. They are drawn out, and you you kind of just it's like okay, I I got the idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but they're also I think necessary for the story to work. Oh yeah, is, for sure because. You you want her to get her brutal vengeance on everybody. Yeah, which she, well, she, spoiler she's, she's going to have fun doing, yeah. She doesn't get it on everybody yet. She gets but a there's lot, like five of these of movies. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Kitagiri is also like, I'm going to have, I'm going to get everyone worked up and make them torture you to death. But then I guess she gets bored. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah. 
because everyone's asleep later and uh matsu is still suspended in the like the chains and kitagiri starts pouring gasoline under her and she's gonna spark it with the light cord uh but rie stops her it's like hey everybody wake up this bitch is gonna burn us all alive all of us (laughs) fuck and they're like well hey that's not cool and kitagiri has a gun but matsu is uh, like right behind her and she kicks her in the back of the head so like everyone has kitagiri at gunpoint he's like i was just gonna burn matsu it was the rest of you and everyone's like yeah but you put a bunch of gasoline on the floor and the rest of us are asleep and you did this in the dark you were gonna just run off and let us all burn to death (laughs) no no the fire would have stayed contained directly under matsu it would have been fine so I standard, know how fire works. Yeah, it's a standard operating procedure at this prison. They tear off all her clothes and put her in a net. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a net. Uh, they they Look raise her up in net. chains. <laughs> she she's raised up in chains. They beat her. You know, kind of the same treatment as Matsu yeah. was getting before. And then food arrives. Food, quote unquote. Yay! They finally brought the food. Three big pots of oh guards. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's Trojan food pots. Yeah, big, big soup pots with guards hiding in it with guns. <laughs> but like they still have the prisoners, so they start threatening the prisoners. And Matsu has the two wires that you know we're we're gonna set off the gasoline, and she's got all the gasoline too. Oh, yeah, that's right. They were like they were going to like just shoot through the shoot through the prison, the guards who were hostages. Yeah, the guards like, come on, man. We just this is just our job. We're just trying to pay our bills. We're not like hardcore freaking. Well, I mean, yes, I mean, they all are. All these prison cops are bastards. They're pretty bad. So Matsu kicks over the gasoline and a prisoner shoots a guard and just Everything goes fucking nuts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Big uh, the, ass fire. The guards massacre the prisoners. Matsu knocks a bunch more fuel onto the gasoline. And uh, uh, the the fire is, of course, under Kitagiri. <laughs> yeah. Oh. She's, uh, she's, she's burning alive. She's screaming for help. And she's like, it, it was Sugimi all along. It was all his scheme. I just fell for it. Uh, for nothing (laughs) yeah exactly she was clearly totally into it and matsu's great line to be deceived is a woman's crime Uh, (laughs) and then a guard opens fire at them they shoot him he shoots back and it just shoots the rope and kitagiri just falls into the flames and dies (laughs) and matsu makes a run for it i was tricked by him he was going to pay me money to kill you and then i was gonna do it (laughs) and then he was gonna give me the money what a trick i mean like to be fair she's probably in jail for a different sugimi scheme but like Uh, maybe you know she she could have conspired with matsu against him instead could have uh but she did not and that is why she is dead yep so we cut to later on, the guards are just sorting through dead people and rubble. They're finding out who's <laughs> still here. Uh, ultimately, it turns out Matsu is the only one missing somehow. Yeah. Um, 
they don't want to tell the police about <laughs> her, though. Yeah, they're like, oh, we better not even report this. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, we don't want them to find out how incompetent we are that we uh, burned our own prison down. So it's like it's it's like it's Wiggum because... and Sideshow Bob at the air show. It's like, <laughs> well, if anybody asks, just uh, tell them I beat him to death. <laughs> <laughs> so because they don't want the cops to find out how incompetent they are. They figure they'll use their incompetence to chase her down themselves. We'll just have to find her in the city all by ourselves. <laughs> and but then, they have a pretty good idea where she's going. Yeah, she's getting her vengeance. And they're oh right. my god! So there's only at this point there's only like ten minutes of runtime in the whole movie, but it's packed uh, with vengeance. Oh my god! <laughs> this is like. I needed this movie needed to have this. If it didn't have this, I, it's so good. Mm. So okay, she's got her vengeance costume, which is like it's kind of Carmen San Diego, but it's all like black. A black Carmen San Diego, and it's like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Just this great cap. The the hat is like really heavily tilted sideways, going with the hair. Yeah, the just the one eye hat. showing because that's her deal. Mm-hmm. And, and like a long freaking black like coat and oh man so good super cool and she goes on her vengeance montage uh we get the guy getting slashed on a subway uh there's someone in an elevator uh, like who's going up a car elevator like his, oh, his yeah. car in one of those like special elevators for cars and he gets an arrow or a pin through his neck Something like that. Uh, another guy's entering an office building and she stabs him. Uh, and every time she kills someone, it all turns blue green when they see her face. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like. Well, there, it isn't. Because or like we reverse have, that. We have a vengeance song played over the whole sequence. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which is super great. Yeah. It's a song about her getting her righteous vengeance while we see it happening. It's awesome. Yeah, but it, but it's like but it's like kind of low key. It's like a, it's like a James Bond song. Yeah, it's like a torch song. It's great. And so we see Sugimi's boss answering the phone. Uh, Sugimi is calling him, and he's like, "I called a staff meeting and nobody showed up." And Sugimi's like, "Yeah, it's because they're all dead." <laughs> he's like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, listen, it's Matsu. I'm pretty sure." And the boss is like, that's silly. You're ridiculous. That couldn't possibly be what's going on. She doesn't have that much power. And then she walks in through his door. <laughs> yeah. His face turns green and we, we cut to Sugimi on the other. And you're like, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, he's been strangled to death with the telephone cord. And then we, we get a great <laughs> shot of him hung out the window of the building from yeah, the top what? next to that banner. Of the, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, I'm gonna go find it. The, the soul and harmony. Supernaturalist or nationalist. I, the soul and harmony of beautiful Japan. So he might be a politician. Yeah, he might be. Like, well, like I, I feel like police chief is an elected position. Oh, you, you know what? I think you're right. Places. So it could be something to do with that. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, He's hung out the window. He's hung out the window by the telephone cord. And then the guards see her 
Uh, yeah, they're so all they're following all the surviving guards, which are basically sunglasses cop, regular glasses cop, and one eye glasses cop. They're just following her around they're in just the station following wagon. Her in that station wagon. Well, actually, they're following Sugimi around because they know he'll lead her. It, like she'll come after him sooner or later. <laughs> and like they they follow him to the police station because he's just going to hide out there. It's like, well, I'll be safe at the police station. And we see him go in and we cut to the guards following him and they see that Matsu is already there in the police station waiting for him. <laughs> and they see her and they're like, oh, shit, we, we can't tell anyone because we can't be seen here. So I guess we'll just let her kill him and go home. I guess we better go home. <sighs> The gang doesn't get their prisoner back. Yeah, they just go back. <laughs> or wait, that's the wrong song. Oh, whatever. Yeah, I think that's Curb. Uh, so Sugimi gets on an elevator, and there Matsu is. <laughs> yep. And, and it's funny because it looks like he checked the elevator because yeah. of the camera angle. But it, she was in like that little side part that you can't see from the outside because... That's not where the door is. That's where the panel is. And right. she's just right there in the elevator with him. And she draws a knife, but he draws his gun and he thinks he's still totally hot shit. So he disarms oh, yeah. her. He slaps her. I mean, he gets her. his own trumpet theme song. He must That's think true. he's a super cop. And he's like, remember how I took your virginity? And he goes in for a kiss and she bites his tongue off. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, she says, I made, he says, I made you a woman. Right. Yeah. And so, like, he goes, he starts kissing her, and, like, she seems to be into it for just a moment. And then, like, he starts struggling. Like, oh, oh. (laughs) She bit his tongue off. She bites his tongue off. She stabs him in the leg. He stumbles backwards out of the elevator. And, like, she starts to approach. So he gets out onto, like, a whole roof area and hides. (laughs) <laughs> and he's like tying up the leg wound and then she gets him from behind <laughs> with another stab he stumbles to a railing she stabs him twice more <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then finally like as he's dying he pulls the knife out he throws it into the sky and it like we, we see it fly across the japanese flag <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, just the the flag is there and the knife just flies by. So cool. And then like he falls over dead and then the shadow of the flag flutters over his body. <laughs> and we just have Matsu in like in the background just staring angrily at him. <laughs> and we hold on that shot for a minute and then the final shot is just her walking down the corridor of prison again toward the camera. So here's so here's what I honestly thought when when that happened and the credits rolled. I was like, wait a second, she killed the bad guy. She murdered him. Why is she back in prison now? Oh, because <laughs> she murdered a cop. Yeah, she uh, killed the bad guy. Uh, but yeah, plus she has about a hundred guards she still has to kill. True, and, and there's three more movies in this series. <laughs> yeah female prisoner to number 701 what a movie holy shit pretty um, wild on paper i wouldn't think that i would like this movie because like we we don't really mention just how long the the torture and the rape scenes go on for they're they're drawn a out fair bit yeah they they There's, do go on at times and 
I normally hate that stuff, but I don't know. There's something about how they do it in here makes it work. Yeah, it's very stylish. It kind of gives it an impact without making it absolutely draining to experience. Like there, it, it has that comic book energy. There is sort of that thing where like we know she's going to get her vengeance and it's told oh, yeah. this abstract way to just be the fuel for her vengeance and are wanting to see it. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's, it's be. I think it's because she just never has that death glare leave her face the whole time. No, like, and oh. that death glare is so good. It's so good. Mm-hmm. She is it's like exceptional. She's gonna kill these people. It's like, oh, yeah. Well, okay. So this is a movie about we have to have her endure all this stuff so that she can kill them and it'll feel good. And then it does, but she doesn't get the the main prison guards yet. But you gotta have those sequels. And and yeah, so there's, there's three more <laughs> of these. They're just like, let's go home. Yeah, it's like, well, uh, I guess we're done here because like she's got the drop on him, and yeah, we we can't <laughs> and, go warn him. We can't go in there. <laughs> so, oh well, next movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I actually looked at the uh, the back of the box for the what the next one is. Jailhouse like, oh, okay. Forty One. Yeah, what's the next one going to be about? Just she becomes the leader of a female rebellion and the symbol of resistance against the patriarchy. All right. Yeah, and I think it's another prison break one, right? Like it's a it's a full yeah. scale like the whole movie's about a prison break rather than just That's the what it looks moments. like. That's yeah. what it looks like, yeah. Uh so we have either that next there or The Cameraman, classic Buster Keaton silent Ooh. film. Uh, where he's a cameraman like he he gets into using a camera it's really interesting in the way it plays with cinematic reality it has probably the first instance of someone like walking into a movie screen and participating in the movie in a movie oh neat that sounds yeah. cool it's classic it's a, it's, right. it's a it's a good one uh so which of those two next do you want to do another female like not Obviously, necessarily next week, but yeah, but for next in that stack. Uh, well, I think I think we'll have to do some more female prisoner. Uh, seven. Oh gosh, number seven zero one. <laughs> yeah, seven zero one. That's the one. I I just I need more of that death glare in my life. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, that will be replaced with Jailhouse Forty One. But I am looking forward to getting to that Buster Keaton thing. Hell yeah. Uh, okay, so any final thoughts on that one before we move on to our second film? I want her outfit. It's not not cool. the jail, Not the jail one, but the, the, the murder one. I could kind of go for the jail outfits Actually, as, like, you know, pajamas. Just like that, the cool, like, the striped, the tie-dye. It is actually kind of cool. actually. Yeah. But yeah, uh, good stuff. All right, on to our second picture. And for our second movie this week, we're going to be talking about the fabulous Baron Munchausen. Uh, but uh, we also got together and watched a couple movies on the weekend. <laughs> Do we want to briefly uh, discuss a couple of those? Uh, those two? Yeah. Ooh, so uh, the first one we watched was The Peanut Butter Solution classic canadian children's movie 
I don't know if I've seen this before or not. I definitely saw it now. <laughs> it's um the the uh okay, so the menu has like like all the menus for these things has like clips of like things that happened in the movie and we see this bald child crying and I was like, Oh, this poor kid has cancer and it's gonna be about how he does some weird peanut butter alchemy to get hair uh, to hide the fact or that he doesn't have any hair because of cancer. No, no. No, he's just crying because he doesn't have hair. He lost his hair in a terrible fright accident in a haunted house. He got a fright. Um, he got a fright. Uh, yeah, it's ghost hobos. It turns out. Yeah. It's a really demented movie. And, I would argue that it's one of the most Canadian movies I've ever seen. Like, especially just in capturing 80s Canadian childhood. It mm. feels really authentic to me. Just the, the latchkey kid childhood of Canada in the 80s. The Just like, you know, uh, just the, the weird free-range childhood of the 80s in Canada. And how, like how different just... it was from America go over to your best friend's house and you're and it was fine you could just be there even though your parents hated or your best friend's parents hated you but it didn't matter because you know you were in charge the, or just the, like, the best friend you know, is really annoying of this just take off just take off for yep. like days at a time <laughs> go go bike ride into the weird part of town go like uh, go check out the factory area. <laughs> Which I guess is why nobody really did anything about the 27 missing children. Yeah, there's just tons of missing children because this guy is kidnapping all of them to work in his slave factory built on the the magical hair growth formula. Like It's, it's such a demented movie, and I could not more highly recommend it because it's so bizarre like it's such an experience to watch just every turn is going to just slap you in the face oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah the kids like being super stoked about their uh child labor because the dude show puts on a magic show at one point which i do vaguely remember seeing this as a music video as a kid periodically playing <laughs> on canadian tv because uh, the the celine dion song uh, i think uh, listen to the oh, magic yeah, man that's right and celine like that was, was in this yeah so there are two celine dion songs in this this is like when she was still sort of in her like tiffany mallcore period so they could kind of get her uh and yeah she does a couple songs she does the main theme and this other one and i vaguely recall seeing these music videos as a kid and yeah, it's the guy, like, doing this weird painting to the Celine Dion song. Uh, but that's, he's the villain, and they're his captives. <laughs> his uh, literal sweatshop slaves that he kidnapped from their parents. But, um, like, nobody is ever all that worked up about anything in this movie. Uh, no. And that, that, to me, is what makes it the most Canadian of all, is that it's all just like... Eh, yeah, I mean, but whatever. I mean, it'll, it'll work out. We'll, we'll figure this shit out. <laughs> 27 work. missing children is like, yeah. Uh, how many kids are in the school? Like, 27 is not that many. I mean, does kids. that not sound like 80s and 90s Ontario police from what we know of true crime in the era? 
sounds pretty yes. accurate. Yes. Like it, it, it's one of those things that I, I, there, there are so many bad cop things that I see. And then just people managing to evade cops in movies. And then you, you read about the true crime and it's like, Oh yeah, no, I see that. That's actually more realistic than I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The unrealistic part is that the cops tried to catch them. <laughs> did they they didn't even call in the cops in this oh this no no <laughs> they finally I, call them in at the very end it's like we have their address can you come get these guys I'm like oh sure our got other their address can, can you like get a key cut for us first the other movie we watched was flag of iron which is pretty great which is one i think we'll probably have to do an episode on sometimes um, probably, probably yeah uh it's it's a later period kung fu movie it's like 1980 or maybe 82 uh and it rules like the action is so rad uh the dialogue has some problems because <laughs> like every scene they're like all right we're going to go do this does this sound like a good idea? Let's all go do this and everyone agrees on doing this and we'll they all we say yes this. we're gonna Ha-ha. do this thing Great, let's Aha, all do this. Yes. And we're we're not talking about a dub. This is not a dub that we watched. <laughs> we watched the original language version with subtitles, but it's all just them talking like, okay, yeah, we're we're gonna do this thing. And then there's a cool fight, and it's totally amazing, and every second of it rules. And then it cuts to just a bunch of people sitting around, it's like, okay, so we just did that fight, and we're gonna talk about all these things that we just did. Now we're gonna talk about what we're gonna do next. And we're gonna decide what we're gonna do next. And we're all gonna agree to doing this next. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's bizarrely paced the the way the movie yeah. fits together. But every time people are fighting, I'm having a great time, and especially oh, yeah. the flag fights at the, the end. The flag fights, oh man, Ooh. So some great gore with like these spears with giant flags attached to them that just kicks things up a whole other level i haven't really seen anything like it before yeah and like really interesting innovative use of slow motion they don't use it a lot they use it uh very precisely to just emphasize the reality of the martial arts taking place which is so cool because usually you get slow motion to kind of just emphasize uh, something looking kind of cool in a camera trick, whereas we get these in the really wide shots, you get to see all of the action actually playing out. It's so rad. It's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. And, and the the heroes, and, and also I guess the nameless soldier villains look like uh, kung fu Chippendale dancers with like the these yeah, they uh, totally do <laughs> these vests that expose so much of their chest, and they've got like these capes and leopard print and leopard a big print. feather, like just big <laughs> feathers in their hats. Yeah, and like it's a hat band, sort of like a tiara. Yeah. Very unusual outfits. Oh, I love it. Uh, anyway, so our main picture, our second secondary picture, uh, Fabulous Baron Munchausen by Carol Zeman. Uh, 1962, I want to say. Um, I'm pretty oh, sure it's 62. Oh, shit. It doesn't... I'm having a heart. Oh, I think 61 is the copyright date anyway. Oh, no, 62, 62. Haha. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, very interesting picture. It's an unusual mixture of animation and live action. Yeah, in that uh, all the backgrounds are 
are animated or they're hand drawn or well, most of them mm-hmm. or, or something like it. But all the characters are people. real people. Yeah. yeah. So um, it, it it ends up being like this really bizarre, like out of time feeling kind of adventure. Like the whole thing feels like a throwback to like the 1920s and 30s silent films. Yeah. And like. I would say even further back is like to the dawn of film and and like not only that, but to the adventure novel and obviously pop up books and uh, just woodcut illustrations in old novels, like old adventure novels. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it's more in debt to that stuff than film. And like only the very dawn of film is is what they're kind of going for. Because like especially A Trip to the Moon plays heavily into this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we begin with uh, right now, there's only about like three color palettes used in this whole movie. There's a blue, a yellow, and then there's a red when things are going really bad. Right. Uh, so right now we've got blue. And we are looking at these footprints uh, to the beat of the music, like boom, we see one print, boom, see another, boom, 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 boom. Just looking at these footprints, and then we cut to, or no, we close in on a frog sitting on a broken urn or something, and he looks up, and then he sees butterflies in the sky, and then he looks up more, and he sees birds, and then he keeps looking up and seeing more stuff like planes, uh, we basically see birds, the whole sky. Ec- we, yeah, we, we sort of see the history of the sky. We, we see uh, man's evolution. We see rockets happen. We, we see the evolution of flight, essentially. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then we see a rocket go by and it lands on the moon. And this is actually before the moon landing happened, 1962. Yeah, this is a few years prior. prior. Yeah. Uh, but we see a guy get out, and he's on the moon, presumably the first ever astronaut. He's got his astronaut suit on, and he sees footprints, just like <laughs> the ones that were in the sand before. Yeah, and he's like, huh? And so he starts following them. <laughs> and as he follows them, he gets to an old-timey record player, uh, a phonograph, yep. with the big, uh, the big, what do you call it, thing? The horn. The horn, yeah. Yeah, and it starts playing uh, old timey music, and we see these three silhouette dudes, like eighteen hundreds noblemen looking guys. With, yeah, like, one of them is Cyrano. Everything. Yeah, yeah we, Cyrano. I didn't catch the other ones' names. Yeah, because I, I Munchausen isn't until they get down there. Or is uh, yeah, he with a them bit here? later. No, right. Okay. Yet. So, so it's Cyrano de Bergerac, who's such a scrub in this movie. He's just always trying to get a ride on his best friend's ride. It's like, that's all he does. He, he's just like hanging along in a bunch of different places. And he never does anything in any of the movie that I can recall. He's just kind of along for the ride all the time. Hmm. Oh, and uh, I forgot to note that uh, for, before he discovers the people, he finds a Jules Verne rocket from like 1895 on the moon. Right. Uh, oh, yeah, and then the Baron arrives on a horse. Oh, yeah, he shows up from just, like, outriding somewhere. Yep, so he was just outriding on the moon. Uh, treats He treats our moon, or our uh, astronaut, 
who he calls a moon man, uh, to a table full of overflowing glasses of wine, which the astronaut, of course, can't drink because he's got his helmet on. Yeah. Um, because he's limited by science and reality. <laughs> yeah, basically. So uh, the Baron wants to show this guy what life is like on Earth, and the guy's like, I'm from Earth. And the Baron's <laughs> like, nonsense! I'm from Earth, and I've never seen you. Yeah, because he's from a special version of Earth. And like this, to me, is sort of the, the primary theme of the film. The concept is that it's a passing of the torch uh, between adventure and uh like the 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 classic fantasies of the moon to the reality of it being a place that man has actually been yeah um they they kind of spell it out at the end yeah very much at the end but like the the whole way there it, it really does feel like they're they're sort of moving fantasy to to reality they're they're kind of look seeing where the two can merge and uh, find common ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> oh yeah, so there's witches on broomsticks and stuff flying by. Uh, they are on a boat that is being held up by string by a bunch of flying horses and one rocking horse. So and this is how they fly from the moon to the earth. It is so decides, cool looking. Yeah, and he decides to land in Turkey because that's the line of the crescent moon so that our moon man, because he thinks the astronaut's from the moon somehow. Yeah, he's a I, native of the moon is, is his oh, belief. Oh, <laughs> okay. And that's why he's dressed so funny. Right, Because right. he's from the moon. He's not from any Earth he knows. Gotcha. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's like, well, they have the crescent moon here, so this will make our moon man feel like home. And he does frequently protest, like, no, I'm from Earth. <laughs> yeah. Um, our moon man's name is uh, Tonic. I eventually caved Rose's name down because it was so much shorter than writing moon man. That's true. <laughs> so the Baron takes him to meet the Sultan. Uh, the Sultan is uh, just a guy with a beard. He's got like these grapes that he's dangling. And this woman in the background is dancing to the jiggly motions of the grapes. So that when he just puts the grapes down and they fall to the plate, she falls down on the floor. It's pretty great. Yep. Um, a, a lot of just visual energy to this. Like there, there's never just, a scene going on of people talking, there's always something happening visually that's compelling. So the Baron goes to talk to the Sultan, but he speaks in Charlie Brown adult tones. Yeah. And he's translating what uh, Tonic is saying to the bear or the Sultan. And Tonic takes, like, goes to take a step forward to shake his hand. And as soon as he approaches the throne, all these spears come out. Like, oh, yeah. and start pointing at him and then he steps back and the spears go away and then he steps forward again and the spears come out and it turns out there's no actual guards it's a mechanism that's activated when he steps on a section of the carpet that just makes a bunch of spears come out yeah it's it's the killer throne I mean, <laughs> and like it, it's just a lever and like they, they all come up when you step on it yeah so the sultan 
Uh, his throne just goes like slides back behind this curtain, and a big giant cannon comes out and points at them. And uh, the Baron's like, "Well, I guess uh, I guess the audience is over," and they calmly walk away. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because like, yeah, it's like, well, he he does not seem to want to talk to us. He he seems to just want to point weapons at us instead. <laughs> All right. So here we get a woman who we find out is Princess Bianca uh, writing a letter to the astronaut uh, requesting that she uh, save him from, or that he save her rather from being uh, held captive by the Sultan. So the astronaut's like, well, why don't I just go and fight the Sultan? And it's like what and the baron's like nonsense you can't do that what we need is that's too violent we need an abduction well an abduction is violence (laughs) no an abduction is art (laughs) (laughs) yeah like that that's sort of the energy of the baron and i've seen as i mentioned earlier a lot of different versions of baron munchausen there's of course the terry gilliam one which i think you've also seen maybe it's got robin williams in it I don't know. Uh, it's it's decent, uh, different, but like has some of the same stuff in it. Uh, but like the the energy of the Baron is he's a teller of tall tales, but like we usually get the tales entirely from his POV. So yeah, it took me a while to realize that we're just living in one of the that we're just watching one of the bullshit stories that he tells. Yeah, we're experiencing his storytelling uh, through the character of himself being just this strange man who who just like is able to skate through everything. You know, he's got the the Captain Kirk and the Enterprise power. He he just as as long as he is in charge of things, it's gonna be okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well. Sort of. Uh, there is one thing that he tries to take charge of that never quite works out for him in in this, and that is the area of love. Right. Which because you think, his approach to that is bad. Yeah, you, you'd think he would be better off with it because Cyrano de Bergerac is always hanging out as like his literal wingman. Like he's just there all the time doing nothing. You'd think he could help out. That's what he's known for. <laughs> yeah. So, so we cut to them going to abduct the princess. They're walking on a rooftop with... <laughs> you can very clearly see their silhouettes against the skybox. Um, and the Baron eventually falls off uh, and lands on an awning. And he's like, I meant to do that. Come on. Just hop down right here. Yep. <laughs> and then they're sneaking past these two uh, guys who are playing chess... So the Baron, instead of sneaking by, he goes up behind one of the chess players and just slips his hand underneath the dude's armpit and moves one of the pieces. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other guy's like, oh, okay. Like, huh. And then this starts. So the Baron starts playing chess through this guy until the guy finally questions why he seems to have three hands. (laughs) As he's looking at his. As he's looking at his hands and it's like one, two, three. <laughs> uh, so 
It is a consistent feature of the uh, turkey adventures with Munchausen, because I think every uh, Munchausen version I've seen has an adventure in Turkey that the guards are all incredibly dim. (laughs) Always. (laughs) So a huge sword fight erupts um, (laughs) where the Baron is like fighting this one guy. But, like, he's also moving pieces on the chessboard and stepping back to let the other guy move the piece on the board. Because <laughs> it's then, a chess game that's more important. Oh, definitely more important. And then he's finally, like, and then the the bad guy's finally like, ah, check. And Baron's like, nope, checkmate. Stab. <laughs> Stab. And then suddenly all this red smoke starts showing up. And, uh, and I think... Everything's supposed to be on fire, maybe? I think that's yes. what it is. Yeah, I think it's like representing the classic early trick film version, like the the nineteen like the nineteen hundreds version of a film where you would use tinting and smoke and just sort of trick effects to represent fire. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh we have the moth or the moon man rather, not the moth man. <laughs> what a different movie that'd be. Uh, the Moon Man is fighting the bald gong ringing guy, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> using his bald head to ring the gong, and then he takes the gong handle and starts playing like a xylophone tune on the edge of the gong. Yeah, really weird. <laughs> which is how the princess finds him. So the Baron cleans off his sword, and we see hundreds of dead soldiers on the ground, like just like a grid of like perfectly parallel lying. <laughs> It's almost like that scene at the very beginning of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Right. Uh, that just opens with so many dead and wounded people by the train track. Yeah. It's, it's almost like that. And we find out that he actually cut uh, through 10,000 people uh, in this thing. And he's like, why should I slash through 10,000 people just for him to get the girl? Huh, well, no matter, beardless boy, no one will resist my charms. Yeah, because... He's the coolest all the time. <laughs> Always, yes. So the three of them are walking through the city as like as it's burning, and like it's playing nice romantic music as we constantly cut to guards running and like the mice are fleeing the city mm-hmm. and cats, and they're just in this like in this balcony on like the second floor, so they're above all the fire and the chaos. And the Baron tries to give uh, the princess a flower from a pot, but it's like attached to a rope or some ridiculous thing. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how that works out. I just love uh, his perpetual nonchalance. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, eventually, like, they just snip off a bud of this flower because (laughs) the flower, it's like the cartoon thing where, like, you can't pull the flower out of the pot because it's too long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Meanwhile, Turkey is on. F- Turkey is on fire. Well, they're while well, the princess loses a shoe and they're fighting with each other over who gets to give it back to her. Oh yeah, like very petty. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Eventually, they decide to steal some horses and run from all the guards, and and they get away from him after. Oh, no, no, it's a three-day-long chase, and the Baron's narrating it. And it's like, oh, the damn chase lasted three days, but it caused me no dismay. 
oh, I just had to. Well, everything's was... always the easiest. Yeah. <laughs> like, ah, you know, we, his main it, thing was focusing on the girl so that the moon man doesn't get her. Yes. But like, it's, it's always an incredibly huge achievement that was just no sweat. <laughs> yeah. Like, why should I have to cut through 10,000 guards and then he gets the girl? <laughs> yeah. And like, oh, we were chased through the desert by hundreds of guards for three days. But, you know, I wasn't worried about it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not really the problem. What are we yeah. going to do about this princess, though? Uh, and, and we see, like, as we see, like, dead horses because they cause they're just littering them behind. Yes. Yeah. You cannot do that. No. And, and they're being they're being followed by vultures, and then they reach my friend the ocean. Cool. I like the yeah. the ocean sequence a lot. Yeah, so there's a merchant ship off of the off the coast, and they and the Baron jumps off the cliff and lands on a horse in the water, and the guys in the ship are looking. They're like, "Who else but Baron Munchausen?" Yeah, <laughs> everybody they, knows him. <laughs> yep, and they pull up uh, the Baron, and I guess the other guys the the astronaut and the princess jumped in the water too and pull them up. And, uh, they are, and the Baron's like celebrating with the guys from the ship while the astronaut and the woman are having their quality time. Of course. And then the Turkish Navy shows up 1,427 ships to be exact or guns rather 1,427 guns. And they're like looking at the Baron, like, what did you do? <laughs> it's like I may have uh, stolen just one little princess, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so they're screwed. They have no recourse. Wait, yes, they do. The captain of this ship has a tobacco collection. So they take all, they have all the crew take all the pipes and smoke all the tobacco to make a smoke screen. <laughs> so that, the Turkish ships fire, trying to shoot the ship, but they end up shooting each other and sinking their whole fleet. And then the way, but the way the Baron um, mentions it is, uh, well, our ship sank too, but that was to be expected. We have, after all, that's what lifeboats are for. Yeah. It was like, I, the, the important thing is that we survived. <laughs> yep. So we've got our light, lifeboat romance scene uh, as they do their romance thing as they drift by snakes and giant fish and whales and a giant spider on the water. And, you know, all the other things, dragons, just the shit that you find on maps of the ocean. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, all of the things of the map, like, uh, and except for the spider, I don't know what's up with the spider, but I love it. Is for fun. I really like yeah. the design of all of this stuff. We haven't really talked much about the effects work in this and, and how really they blend things. It's so yeah. cool. So like yeah, the, the way these are to put explain. together. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. The, these are mostly animation for for the, the beasties, right? Oh, I thought one of them was a puppet. Yeah, I, probably. I thought, like, the, big, the big one I thought was a puppet, the one that okay. beats them. Yeah, yeah. Or at least like, sometimes he's a puppet. I, I mean, just like the ones prior to this, like the just the assemblage of uh, uh, beasties in the background, like the snakes and 
all of that. It, that that's mostly uh, paper craft kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I th- this one doesn't have quite the same uh, depth to the the paper craft stuff as uh, the previous one in the set. Um, invention or invention for destruction. Uh, yeah, invention for destruction. Where everything kind of looked like the whole design of it is like a woodcut illustration in motion. Really, really cool. Yeah, this this is kind of like that, but not. This one doesn't go quite as deep into it, whereas that one, every single thing is designed like all of the sets are designed to have the lines on them that you would get of like the shading from a woodcut. It's really cool. Yeah, well, this um, I noticed like a lot of the props in this do have that, though, like mm-hmm. uh, the the cannon that they use at one point. Yeah. And uh, and like a lot of the bigger set pieces. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So at this point there, the Baron's all like, there isn't a creature in the sea with teeth big enough to swallow Baron Munchausen as he gets swallowed by a giant fish and then gets, uh, out the other side of a giant fish. Yeah. Uh, and, and then he gets swallowed by a more different giant fish. Uh, <laughs> but this one has a fully functional shipwreck where these guys are just living on this ship inside of a whale. And the Baron joins their party where he's like, uh, he's they get to put the princess to bed. And he's telling them about his journey on the sea. And he's like, and they're, and he's like, I swam by so many fish. It must've been a million. And the guy's like, what do you mean it must have been a million? How many was it? This is a this is a ship log here. We need exact numbers. <laughs> oh, well, it was 1,453 or something like that. And I didn't just pull that number out of my sleeve. I I I think Pirates of the Caribbean does this exact same sequence. Like isn't there one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies where Johnny Depp is on a boat just like this in like a whale or something? I only ever saw the first two. Oh, it might have been the second one. Second or it could third? Have been the second one. Uh, could even be the fourth. The first. No, definitely not the first. I've seen four of them. Uh, they blend together. But I remember this kind of basically happening, like him being in this exact sequence. And I do feel like it was probably directly influenced by this or one of the Munchausen versions, because I think this happens in a couple of them. Yeah, um, probably. So we find out that this monster has been traveling all around the world. Uh, first, we find out that he went to the Red Sea. Well, no, first we find out he went under the North Pole because their ship was freezing and they had to give the little parrot a, a jacket. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a little parrot on the ship. On the Cute ship little parrot. inside the whale. Yeah. Uh, so, the, so then they visit... Egypt and the Red Sea <laughs> and this guy, this crewman, the expert geographer is like Red Sea as the water just has like the red uh, um, tint over it, like the yeah. red. Uh, and then they go to like Asia and it's like Yellow Sea. <laughs> <laughs> more tinting. Yeah, more tinting and then Black Sea. And the Baron just remarks on his profound grasp of geography. <laughs> I thought that was good. And then they hear what at first they think is a storm, but then it's cannons. They must be near Europe. Oh, yeah. 
but the monster doesn't want to go near the cannons because it's afraid of the sound of civilization. Yeah, civilization, not cannons. Yes, that's right. But cannons are the sound of civilization. How can you even have a civilization without cannons? I mean, I'd like to see him try. <laughs> <laughs> well, the people at the colonies did try. <laughs> yes, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. So eventually, some ship with a gigantic harpoon on the front uh, shoots the whale. And you see like just the, the giant spear coming through like the inside wall of the whale's mouth where they've been this whole time. Yeah, like somehow they were still just up near the mouth the whole time. Yep, and like the whale is sinking. Somehow they get out of the whale. Oh yeah, and they they end up on like some shore where a flamingo lands on some dude who's just on a cliff. Oh, and here's where they find out what the moon man's been up to, because the moon man was on a different lifeboat that drifted off. Right, he didn't end up on the boat with Munchausen. Yeah, so he ended up on this uh, sh- on this beach building a steamship, which uh, <laughs> they called it like the eternal, the devil's eternal flame or something like that, because it was uh, like Hell a smokestack. Yeah. yeah, and again, like I feel like maybe probably a reference to Titanic, Could given be. that you know we're we're looking at stuff circa 1900s or like early early 20th century is sort of the point of reference for most of the stuff. Yeah, but the steamship immediately blows up because the Baron didn't make it. Yeah. And, and on the ship, they've got, like, uh, the astronaut and the princess are, like, consoling each other over the failure of the ship. And there's this beautiful, like, Adam and Eve mosaic on the back of the ship. And I love this part because the snake comes out with the apple in its mouth, like, coming up behind uh, the astronaut. Yeah. And the princess just kind of looks at the snake and just kind of waves it off, just giving it. Like this not now look like not right now, man. Not right now. It's like and that's the last we see <laughs> of this. And I'm just like, there's something going on here with the princess and the snake, which, of course, the snake is. Well, he represents Lucifer. temptation, of course. Yeah. Like, well, in some in some mythologies, he actually is Satan. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. But I, I mean, in the context of this, I think represents yeah. temptation. Oh, yeah, so the Baron gets abducted by a giant bird, and he's just chilling in the bird's claws. Hell yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, well, this is a uh, free ride. This is free ride. Wait a second. If I stay here, then that moon man will be able to hook up with the girl. So he jumps off the bird yeah. um, and lands in the water, and a uh, a swordfish brings him his coat. <laughs> Oh, here's where he says that no monster in the sea has te- teeth big enough to eat him after right. he's already been eaten by. Oh, and here's where he counts out how many exact fish. So I guess he gets rescued by another fish or another ship here. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's right. And he's and he's talking about how there's no more mysteries to solve except for love. <laughs> The unsolvable uh, mystery. So, well, it, it is interesting that this is sort of this weird romance rivalry that he's brought this moon man down to his 
adventure world to just like go on adventures with him but he's just instead made him a romantic rival without there being any need for it at all yep (laughs) also i think that sort of the other sub theme is of the astronaut now becoming a figure of hero heroic legend Mm. that like this is now the new storybook hero to add to the roster the astronaut Except that stuff hadn't all quite happened yet. I think they were, like, predicting that that's how it was going to go. True, but... It might end up that way, but... No, but I I do feel like that's kind of what they're going for. That, like, yeah, I mean, now the astronaut's, like, the new storybook hero. And certainly at that time, in the 50s, in the 60s, that had to become, like, oh, yeah, now the astronaut is, like, the new big, like, kid focus and that's it's weird that that's kind of stopped being a thing over the years yeah it's uh, kind of dissolved it was still sort of around as as recently as the 90s but i I yeah that's true there's not much of it in the last 20 years so somehow they end up at this fortress where uh the baron's buddy is this general guy Mm -hmm. and uh but the enemy this nameless enemy is attacking them in a siege so the baron has to do reconnaissance so he flies he he shoots out a cannon no he no what he does is he jumps off of the rampart and then a cannon fires out and he lands on the cannonball he rides the cannonball he rides the cannonball (laughs) like it's some kind of like a super mario game so rad and then he takes out a quill and parchment and starts writing down the enemy positions. And then when it's time to go back, he just jumps off of this cannonball and hops onto one that they that the enemy shoots at the castle. Ride it back the other way. It's yep. so great. This is one of the constant ones. This, I think, is done in every version of Munchausen I've seen. And it's always so cool. <laughs> just dude riding a cannonball. Huge yep. cannonballs. And this allows them to win the the war, apparently, and they get their medals and stuff. Yeah. And here, Tonic shows the princess his sketchbook in which he talks about a fairy tale of a man who takes all the gunpowder in the castle and throws it down the well so that he can blow it up and turn the castle into a big rocket to go to the moon to be with his love. Which is insane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep, it's insane. Meanwhile, the Baron is talking about how he doesn't need the princess because he's bedded all these different people. And he starts showing them off. It's just all these different paintings. And then we have, like, playing cards show up. And then he's like, and then I once bedded the most beautiful woman in the world. And it's the Mona Lisa. Of course. And, and he's basically doing Mambo number five here. Oh yeah. A little bit, a little bit of Sandra in the sun. A little bit of her, Mona Lisa. The other one. Well, he calls one of them the other one. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> the other one. <laughs> uh, but now it's time for the enemy to attack again, and their cannon snipes the laundry line hanging from the castle, while the enemy general uh, is basically conducting the evasion invasion while the the way a conductor conducts his orchestra hell just yeah do it, do, 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 with his baton yeah and then the the 
their fortress that they're staying in shoots out their cannons, but all the cannonballs just fall out of the cannons. And it's like, oh my god, there's no gunpowder anywhere in the castle. All the gunpowder's been stolen. And I'm like, oh my god, did (laughs) Astronaut just throw all the gunpowder in the well to turn the castle into a giant rocket ship to go to the moon? Uh, Why, yeah. Yes. Yes, he did. (laughs) He most certainly did. (laughs) Uh, but first we have the have to have the Baron uh, try to find out how to get the cannons to work. Uh, he he picks one up and shakes it, and a bunny comes out. And then he finds a he finds a I guess like a cartoon bomb, fills it up with some tobacco, and throws it at the uh, or launches it at the enemy. Uh, it lands right by the general and makes and makes them leave. But funny the. The bomb doesn't explode. And yeah, then... like, I don't know. Why is it they, that they leave? Oh, well, why they, does it make them leave? Because the generals scattered when the when the bomb went by them because, you know, they thought it was going to explode. Right. And then with the generals gone, uh, the soldiers are just like, eh, and went home. Right. OK, that's that's literally what it is. And then he's like and he's talking to the general later. And and the general's like, well, you brought the moon man here who took all the powder. And the baron's like, I won the battle. And the general's like, what battle? There was no blood. There were no explosions. We cheated history. It's not a battle without people dying. Yeah. Uh, and so they found so I guess they found the the astronaut sketchbook and say it's interesting instructions on how to blow a fortress into the air. <laughs> because it turns out this is exactly their plan. The moon man is in jail, and the princess goes to see her, and he takes the princess's uh, shroud thing after she leaves to trick the guards into thinking that she's in the jail. Not <laughs> very bright. Making out with them, and he's like, "All right, time to time to go, princess." And like, there's just this scene of the guard watching. He, He's like, come on. Oh, my God. Enough now. And he eventually opens up the thing and they do. And then the moon man just escapes and locks the door behind him. Uh, What else happens? Not quite as elegant as the elevator trick in Goldfinger. My favorite prison break solution. Oh, how does that one go again? Uh, He it's Bond is trapped by Goldfinger and he keeps going up to the door and waving to the guard. And then like he, he comes up and he waves and he like mimics, like he's pressing a button and then he lowers, like there's an elevator there. <laughs> All right. And then he, you know, the, the guard doesn't see him for a while and he gets suspicious and he comes to look. And of course Bond just gets the drop on him. Always kills me. That's absolutely hysterical. It's like, it worked. The elevator trick worked. It's basically that. It's what he does. So, yeah, so then the Baron is, I don't know, doing something with a candle, and he throws it over his shoulder, and it lands in the well, which, of course, is where all the gunpowder is. So, um, meanwhile, the princess and the astronaut hit inside a suit of armor, and they go flying into the air, and now they have jetpacks for some reason. And yeah. uh, the Baron is flying into space on a chair. And then here's where we get, I wish I had written the whole thing down, but basically it was like, until now, Luna, 
as belonging to poets and dreamers to yeah. all this stuff. But now basically we welcome everybody because you know, everyone's going to be coming to the moon soon. This is the new sure. frontier. This isn't the realm of fantasy anymore. This is part of the world that you can go to. Sort well, of. And I, it I think end it's up that way. Not quite, but I, I think it's a really interesting concept that they're like, okay, so we're going to go back to this classical story of Baron Munchausen, which has been told many times. Like, this is a major uh, Austri- Austro-Hungarian folk tale. Like, really belongs to that whole region. Very frequently told. There's tons and tons of versions. So it's it, it's a very literal handoff, because, like, you've also got Cyrano de Bergerac in there. You're, you're pulling in a lot of different classic fantasy characters and folktale or folkloric characters and kind of having another adventure with them, but like welcoming the astronaut to the Pantheon as at the same time being like, but now the moon is a place of reality and not only of adventure, fantasy fiction. Uh, And I like that they treat the moon with reality. Like when the, the sequences on the moon, yeah, they do have all of them with their storybook experience of it, but the astronaut, you know, he still has to be, in his helmet and yeah it's the actual moon yeah yeah that's i i think that's really neat like this this whole thing was just a really neat fun adventure that makes no sense written down and uh <laughs> it, it's really hard to follow but you don't really have to you kind of can just get lost in it it's totally it's a ride fun. it's fun oh it's a it's absolutely a ride and it and, looks so cool all the time mm-hmm Oh, I forgot there's one scene where, like, they're talking about the moon man, and they're like, well, they're saying he's flown faster than a bullet, and the Baron's like, well, maybe he's just in a hurry. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, all the stuff that the moon man is, that they think he's embellishing, which he's actually not, because with technology, you can't do all that stuff. And then the Baron's like, well, these are my stories. I do this (laughs) stuff, too. Yeah, it's like, just do it different. I, I did this stuff before technology could do it for you. <laughs> yeah. Your yeah. technology doesn't have rocking horses carrying boats through space. Well, it's 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 a where's the magic argument. Like he It's basically what it is, yeah. He he's doing the argument against CGI that we have in the past that like there's a place for it, but come on, where's the magic? Where where's the charm? Where's the Baron? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's great. I really love this movie. I love all three of these from the uh, Criterion Carol Zeman set. I don't think we talked about the incredible packaging on this set. Uh, no, but we need to. Um, the because I'm opening it up right now, and I will open it up to get out the disc, and it's a pop-up book. Yeah, each of the mo- each of the movies in the set has their own pop up with a, a a moving section that you can play with. <laughs> yeah, like this one has uh, the Baron uh, being shot out of the or riding on the cannonball rather towards the castle. And you can you can move him across the sky yep. with a lever. <laughs> Super great. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Um, oh, also one thing I wanted to mention before I forgot. Mm. We do get a little bit of character development from the astronaut as he, uh, he like he talks about how he the Baron talks about how he's only interested in science and technology and all that boring stuff, but ends up doing 
a completely fantastical method of getting out of the castle. Right. Like a, like a very Baron Munchauser thing to do. Yeah, like just setting a giant explosion and instead of it blowing up the castle, it, you know, sends him to the moon. Yeah. Yeah, because he's, he's now an adventure character who can do those things to get back to reality. Yeah, it's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think yeah it's, it's like welcoming him into the Pantheon, and they even use the phrase passing the torch in that mm-hmm. big quote at the end. Yeah. I wish it really ended up like that, where people could just go to the moon. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> Maybe eventually. I, I I would love to I, I would love commercial space travel to be just like the the way it is in seventies movies. <laughs> <laughs> I think especially the seventies futurism, like the the retro futurism of that era is my favorite. Yeah, I was gonna say like I want it to be as simple as getting on a plane today, but like no, I want it to be less dehumanizing than getting on a plane today ideally i mean yeah. I, I guess it would be all right if you get to wear a full space suit but that's probably yeah, that's true. god-awful expensive oh yeah but who knows what the future may hold uh, uh well it'll when be people god-awful were... expensive whatever <laughs> yeah, it is it'll be god-awful expensive uh all right so any last thoughts before we head on to our final part um, just that I found it interesting that we started on the third movie in this set. Um, I, yeah, I had to ask you. I had that. just, I, I had already watched the other ones last year. <laughs> oh, okay. So I, I, I did invention where for, you were in the stack. Yeah, I, I did invention for destruction a while back. Uh, it was in the watch stacks and I, I did the other one just before we started, but they're, they're all really great. Uh, okay. we should totally do the other ones at some point. I would say, this one is probably the overall strongest, just in terms of theme and design and everything together. I would say Invention for Destruction is the coolest looking, okay. just because it's its use of the woodcut designs. It's so striking and it's so constant. Like, they really build it into every single element, and it looks um, really amazing. And the first one, I feel, has the most compelling story and concept because it's it's these three czech boys who they become really interested in dinosaurs and they're like yes you do they're like hey you know what we can do the stream of time happens to just flow right through this village we're just gonna get on a rowboat and we'll row back up against the current of the stream of time we'll go back to uh prehistory and we'll witness the dinosaurs ourselves and that'll be much more interesting and that's what they do cool it rules it's super great uh and all of them are kind of vaguely psychedelic they all look totally amazing just really cool set right on all right cool uh so we'll head on into part three unless you have anything further uh i think think i'm good for now i and now as always for our final section we'll Talk about movies watched in the past week and decide what we're going to do next week. Uh, so I got 10 movies here for our picks. Uh, first up is Island Claws. Uh, very much my kind of crap. <laughs> so it looks like it's a big giant crab. It's a giant <laughs> crab movie. Uh, you, you got this marine research station in this sleepy, isolated fishing town, uh, and they're like trying to 
cure world hunger by breeding super large crabs. And they breed the super okay. large crabs and, you know, it starts there. They scream and they eat people. And it's just uh, it, it's it's pretty sleepy. There's a lot of scenes of nothing happening, but <laughs> it, it's just like, you know, people hanging out in this beach town off season. And I dig that just on its own. And then, you know, there are lots of hilarious scenes. It was like, oh, someone's going to get eaten by a crab, going to get eaten by a crab. Oh, my God. Uh, I love it. It's it's not good, but I, I really enjoy it. Excellent. Uh, next up is The Rift, another water-based uh, horror sci-fi thing. Uh, this is sort of from that weird late period, late 80s period, where uh, everyone was doing The Abyss. So you had The Abyss and uh, Leviathan and Deep Star 6 all together in the same year. And there's right. just a few more of them, just like aliens underwater. We're, we're going to do the... Uh, underwater aliens thing for a couple years. Uh, th- this one is, I think it's a Corman produced or something, or maybe not. No, I guess it doesn't have Corman in the credits here. Uh, but it's it's 1990, so it's a couple years after the first bunch of them. Interestingly, it stars Ray Wise, uh, oh. Leland Palmer from Twin Peaks. Oh shit! Yeah, he's he's the main guy. He's sort of like. It's it's also majorly a ripoff of Alien. It's kind oh, of course. just Alien underwater because that's oh. also I think what Deep Star Six was, if I recall correctly. But you know they're they're in search of this lost vessel and they find these underground tunnels that are just riddled with these evil little bugs, or giant bugs, obviously. Of course. Yeah. Uh, people were doing these genetic engineering experiments with I think it's alien hybrids and stuff and just really gushy evil slime that attacks people underwater. Pretty great gore. And uh, Ray Wise is kind of the bishop. Like, you know, the android, like he isn't actually, he isn't an android or anything, but like, he's kind of serving that character purpose. Right. Right. Uh, Next up, Santo in the wax museum. Uh, This is a a Santo, uh, the silver masked, uh, Lucha Libre. Oh, okay, film. yeah. So he, he's kind of like the biggest Lucha Libre guy. I got this box set of eight Santo movies uh, that just came out. And th- this is the first one in the set. And it's the only one that has a vintage dub. It has an old vintage dub from when the movie originally came out. And then none of the other ones ever even came out in English prior to this. Unfortunately, none of them have the original language tracks. Oh, that's a shame. And all of the other ones have awful, newly created dubs. So, oh, no. So, so we don't have the option to not yeah. listen to the shitty dub? No. that is So that that is a big drawback of this set. Ooh. But oh. it, I've been wanting to see these Santo movies for a really long time, so I did pick it up and... I'll kind of go through them. This one is interesting. It's weird because it's a bit earlier in the cycle. So he's not even the main character. Okay. Santo. It's a mad scientist thing. And there's a wolf man. It's this mad. It's it's basically House of Wax. Uh, it's, and then Santo is called in to deal with House of Wax, where there's a mad scientist uh, okay. putting people in the wax dummies. And also he has a wolf man on staff. 
Of course, as you do. Uh, we have the Wolfman on staff. Yeah, I mean, you gotta. Uh, there's a lot of Lucha Libre sequences. There's a, a lot of just wrestling in the ring because that is Santo's day job. Like, they keep kayfabe in these movies. Uh, <laughs> Santo is a wrestler in the universe of the movie. And him helping out with, like, Scooby-Doo shit is just, like, a thing he does nights. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird. Uh, next up, Alien Predators, or Alien Ooh. Predator, or The follow- Falling. Whoever uh, wins, we lose. Kinda. It's it's not quite AVP. It's sort of a mixture of the two. It's more just alien slime. Just goopy alien slime comes oh. to town. Uh, uh, Skylab, I think, as I mentioned, crashes to Earth, and it's got stone away alien slime that you know, is taking over this small Spanish mountain town, I think. Okay. Uh, and, you know, there's there's three American teens and a uh, renegade NASA, NASA scientist, uh, and they're, they just have to do battle with these things. Uh, it's weird. It's very grungy. <laughs> uh, the, the gore is more harsh than I would have expected from this. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 very strange. Very repetitive dialogue. There's this one guy that they keep referring to as, "Wow, he's Hollywood's best driver." Oh God, one of those, huh? Yeah, it's you're very my strange. best friend, Mark. Mark is my best friend. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, you're except his it's best friend, Mark. It's it's so weird because it's not quite that level of cinema. Like you know, it's got really good gore effects and it's clearly made by you know genre filmmakers, but. It's got these weird preoccupations with certain lines. Interesting. Uh, next up is Succubus. Uh, that's the uh, folk horror one that I told you about last week. Oh, is is that? From, oh no, that's not from that set though. Different set, yeah, or the, just yeah. a or, or sorry, a standalone one uh, from Mondo Macabro, a very recent release. It's there's so there's these two shepherds and their boy apprentice up in the Swiss Alps, uh-huh. uh, and they he the the boy finds this root and it sort of looks like a face and he he's just hanging around with it and there's this one like there there's the two older guys and one of them is pretty shady and one of them is just straight as an arrow and then the the shady guy makes a pass at the boy and they there there's a whole fight and then everyone gets drunk after one of the guys gets injured and they end up dressing the thing up as a doll and they, they sing a bunch of songs and they have a bunch of parties. And then the shady guy gets on top of it and has sex with it. And then it comes to life and it gets really mad at them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, incredible locations because it's actually shot on location in the Swiss Alps. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, it's it's very striking. It's it's really cool looking and just weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, Blind Date, which is like Daredevil if it was like Eurosleaze. Okay. So it's this guy who, there's this American who's working in Greece in the ad business, and he's a peeper. He, he's into peeping. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> it's his of course. whole deal. And he is peeping on someone making out in a car with the girlfriend at like a makeout point. And they catch him. And he's, and the guy gives chase. And he's running through the forest. 
and he collides with a low-hanging branch, and he's struck blind. Oh my god, okay. So he is our daredevil. He gets, because he's really wit, he's really wealthy. So he is given this tricked-out Walkman computer device that he, like, through the headphones attached to a brain implant, and it gives him sonar vision. (laughs) Okay, all right, cool, all right. And so he has to do battle with a slasher because there's, you know, also giallo going on. <laughs> it's super stylized and like really great looking, uh, really cool use of Greek locations. I think it's Athens. Uh, he he runs it. He, he runs his Atari through the Walkman at one point just to see what will happen. Because like w- when he's given the implant, the doctor's reeling and is like, OK, so there are all these things that you should not do and you can't use it for more than 15 minutes and blah, blah, blah. You'll get horrible seizures and maybe die. And then, like, we immediately see him constantly abusing it for the rest of the movie. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, it's great. Really enjoyed it. Oh, sounds like fun. Uh, next up, Delta Space Mission. Uh, this one is also really rad. Uh, this is a Romanian animated film. Uh, it is from the mid eighties, but it has kind of the feel of sixties stuff, both like in terms of being really psychedelic and kind of having the energy of something like Johnny quest, just that pulpiness. Okay. But like really jumping synth music. Cause it's, you know, mid eighties, just really mm-hmm. great vapor wavy synth music. And it's this alien lady. Uh, she's a, a green alien lady reporter with her pet dog frog, who's an alien dog. Of course. Uh, and she goes to see this giant gem that's a computer space brain that runs a space station. And she's like, oh, I wish I had it all to myself. And then somehow the brain becomes fixated on her and it like starts just chasing her down through the galaxy. Huh. All right. <laughs> it's it's totally wild. Really great. Uh What's really cool is the character designs are really minimal and abstract. Like they don't do a whole lot of character animation or move the mouths or all of that stuff. But the backgrounds are very elaborate and like all of the robot designs are really cool. Interesting. All right. Hmm. Uh, Next up, The American Scream, which is... It's it's like a, a trip to our child free. <laughs> oh. oh. It's it's a late it it's got it's got a similar tone to something like the room, where it, it's just so broken minded the way everything fits together. It, it's <laughs> like someone went on a road trip with a head full of acid and wrote the script based on their experience of the road trip. <laughs> So like there it's it's this uh these parents are taking their kids to this Wilson Creek which okay. is just this creepy little town and they go and there are no kids there there's no one under 30 in the entire town uh and just everyone is uh everyone hates children is like violently aggressive towards children uh in the background uh and Why like are they taking their kids to this place uh question mark uh but like <laughs> uh, yeah uh, it, as they're driving into town 
the they see people behind them there's a lady who's breastfeeding and then like they like cross the town boundary i guess and then they and they like see the guy start going crazy who's driving the car and he starts grabbing the lady's breasts and like they start fighting and then you just see like the baby hit the windshield and like jelly everywhere because it's very fakey looking because it it looks like someone just threw a bunch of jam at the windshield right and then like you you see them seeing this because they're watching this as they're driving into town they're watching the people behind them and they scream but the parents don't react to it at all uh, and then just like cuts to them driving up to the the diner and it's like, oh, man, I can't wait for breakfast. Like as if this thing, this horrifying thing didn't just happen seconds ago, <laughs> even though they refer to it again, like shortly later. It's 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 so brain damaged. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, now that I got my uh, my runny eggs, isn't it weird how that baby got smashed against the windshield? <laughs> oh, 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 these are good eggs. Yeah, that's fucked up. Um, oh, I need more salt on these hash browns. And it's it's not the last time we see that baby either. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, next, I watched Chick Boxer. Uh, this is from this weird picture deal. Like, uh, J.R. Bookwalter, the guy who did Dead Next Door, the sort of uh, super low-budget uh, zombie epic in cleveland i I talked about a while back i think i watched it back in october uh but not not actually i i think i've previously talked about it as shot on video but i think technically it's eight millimeter or 16 millimeter or something but most of his other stuff is sov uh and this one is from a deal he did with david dakota of uh sorority babes fame oh right yeah and uh you know a talking cat more (laughs) more famously now uh the they did a deal where like they were he was producing and distributing six direct to vhs movies with book walter and this is one of the ones he produced and has a lot of his people but he didn't actually direct and it's like i i think the story is by dakota and there's it's it's this girl she's supposed to be high school age but she's clearly in her 20s or 30s and of course she's totally obsessed with this public access tv show called chick boxer okay which is just this lady who's just kicking dudes all the time you see very <laughs> very little of it but it, she's just into it and like anytime she tells anyone else about it like everyone else thinks it's garbage and we we get various scenes with the chick boxer actress who's michelle bauer who was one of the sorority babes okay yeah uh, I think the one in the shower. Oh, right. It's yes. Her. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she's the chick boxer and like, she's clearly a very low level actress because like her agent is trying to talk her into taking a porno role <laughs> in later <laughs> scenes. Uh, so anyway, like the girl, she's obsessed with this show. So she takes a karate class and it turns out the karate master is the guy who's behind all of the town crime and like the he's uh going to overthrow the mayor and he's abducted one of the girls from the class and <laughs> so oh, you know she has to, to topple his school she she has to become the chick boxer herself obviously uh it's like an hour long and like 10 minutes of that is shoe tying because like the opening <laughs> five minutes of the the credits are her like you she she sets she 
puts down her feet in a pair of pink chucks that do not have laces in them. And we see the entire process of putting laces in each chuck all the way up. And that's the (laughs) opening credits. The closing credits, whole thing again. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? Okay. Uh, they they had uh they had padding because like and, and that's only a 62 minute movie and yeah it's 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 extremely extremely low budget trash like who the lowest of budgets uh and last one is queens of evil uh where this guy is just tooling through europe i, I guess italy on his motorbike and he sees this Rolls Royce that's stopped by the side of the road that like is broken down and he stops and helps this guy change his tire. But the guy's a total dick. Uh, the 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 guy who owns the car. Even though uh-huh. he is changing the tire for this dude, he is lecturing him about his long hair and about how he needs to get a good job and get settled oh down. Mary. Change and your then, own fucking tire, buddy. Yeah, and he puts a nail in the tire of his motorbike. And then drives off. And, you know, when our guy realizes that he chases after him and he actually runs the guy off the road and he dies. Uh, So, yeah. (laughs) And then he's like, well, I guess I better hide out for a while. And also my bike's out of commission until I can get it fixed. So he finds this nearby mansion, as you tend to find in these weird Italian witchy movies. (laughs) Of course. As, it's as mansions all over the place. Yeah, we we covered a couple of these during October, uh, yeah. like that. And so there's a, a a mansion with three witches, and they all seduce him, and uh, he he just kind of hangs out in their mansion for a bit, heading up to uh, obviously them doing some sort of nefarious ritual that he's oblivious to. Of course, <laughs> yeah, always you know. with the ritual. That's what the mansion's for. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, those are the ten. Uh, what do you figure? All right. Well, there's a few I'm interested in. I'm curious about Succubus and Blind Date and uh, the animated one. Uh, Delta Space Mission. Yeah, yeah. Those uh, are all hell, very good picks. <laughs> yeah. What do you think I'd like the most out of those? Oh, that's tough. That's tough. I, I guess what sort of flavor are you looking for? Because like, so Succubus, it it is very much a folk horror. It's got that same sort of weird tonality that we saw with like Lepterica and uh, eyes of fire. It's, it's a very similar vibe to those, but like another location and concept and whole idea. Blind date is super heightened, crazy eighties junk cinema. Uh, It's uh, Euro sleazy, but like uh, it's, it's from the same guy who did nightmare at noon, uh, but it's a much tighter film. (laughs) (laughs) It <laughs> doesn't have a 10 minute helicopter chase. Yeah. And uh, Delta Space Mission, like just really, really great animation. Uh, although, like, obviously the character animation is really limited. Uh, just a really weird 80s Romanian artifact. Cause it's like post-Soviet bloc animation and uh, just them looking at it's It's very heavily derived from stuff like uh, Star Trek and star wars because it's post star wars she totally has han solo's gun (laughs) (laughs) actually yeah let's let's do that one then i don't think we've done an animated anything on the show yet yeah that's true i guess like this this uh munchausen is probably as close as we've done to that um i think so yeah and it's not even it's only quasi animated yeah Yeah. it it features animation 
It All has right, cool. yeah, it has animation in it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. cool. So Delta Space Mission will be good. Uh, so there's a handful of additions to the main stacks. Uh, first up, we have uh, Legendary Weapons of China. So, so this is another one from 88 Films, uh, same people who put out uh, Flag of Iron and Chinese Boxer. The, uh-huh. uh, another one from their Shaw Brothers Kung Fu collection. Cool. Uh, this one's a little bit later than either of those. This one's from 82, I think. And it's just, I, I, I don't think there's much of a plot. It's just, you know, there, there's... Uh, it's kung fu sorcery, so there's a lot of magical kung fu in this one, and they're collecting a bunch of the greatest magical uh, ninja and kung fu weapons of all time for a big showdown, I guess. Okay. Sounds rad. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know a lot about it. Uh, next up, cool. Serpico. <laughs> Serpico needs a little introduction. Uh, the <laughs> great al pacino undercover cop movie where he's rooting out uh corruption within the force uh yeah. very popular with uh charlie charlie kelly on <laughs> it's always sunny in philadelphia yeah. his favorite movie character <laughs> uh yeah we watched not too long ago we watched the one where he just goes full serpico yeah that one's so good where they're pretending to be cops yeah <laughs> and then they won't let him so he has to be serpico <laughs> uh next up is school of death uh which is you know one of these really bizarro gothic horrors about an orphanage uh where you know they're they train orphan girls to be uh servants to you know sell them into you know rich households basically uh but they're also you know sending them to I, I think they're also sort of a, an an evil torture house, and maybe there's a mad scientist or something. Okay. It, it's that sort of thing where, like, it's it's a diabolical orphanage, uh, which you know is is you know using the girls for nefarious purposes. Yeah, orphanages seem to do that a lot in film. I, in I think film, more bad absolutely. Orphanages than good ones. Usually in film. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, why would you have an orphanage in a film otherwise, I guess? Hmm. So I'm going to try to find a good orphanage in a movie. I mean, I'm sure there are. Uh, next up, we have The Farmer, which is a recently rediscovered film. This, this was a lost film for a really long time. This is the first time it's ever been on home video. Uh, it's it's about this Vietnam vet, or no, a World War II vet, uh, but it's it's definitely sort of referencing the vietnam situation because it's from 77 uh-huh. and he, he comes back and he's gonna go work on the family farm uh but you know the bank is foreclosing on it and then he saves a local gangster or something and he's rewarded money but it's not enough to pay for the farm so he hires a bunch of guys to uh kill someone instead <laughs> oh I, or no, like, oh yeah, no, he gets blinded. Someone blinds him uh, over uh, a horse race thing by, and like, he decides to put out a hit on a bunch of gangsters with the money he gets. Right. Something like that. Uh, I don't know. It sounds pretty crazy. It's just this weird, wild, 
70s revenge movie. Uh, and one that's been unavailable for a really long time, so I'm curious about it. Uh, last is The Aftermath, which is a really crazy indie post-apocalyptic movie. It's it's like it's just, you know, fighting mutants in the wasteland, like, you know, Turbo Kid, that oh, sort yeah. of thing. But like yeah. what Turbo Kid was influenced by, because this is like circa uh. 82. Uh, and I think this one was a video nasty or I think it was on the third list of video nasties. So uh, a very ridiculously gory version of one of those. Okay, cool. All right. So those are all the options. Uh, what do you figure for our main pick next week? Well, we went, we're going with a Romanian animation. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't I do another country that I haven't seen anything from and let's do uh, Lucia. 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 Uh, Is it Lucia? I believe so. Uh, So Cuban film. Yes. All right, cool. So this is a a pretty uh, big epic of uh, three different stages of Cuban history, all following one lady. Mm -hmm. I I hear it's sort of like a a monumental uh, work. So that'll be an interesting one to dig into. Yeah, somebody, I can't remember where, when, or in what context, but I heard someone mention it somehow not too long ago interesting so i was like well let's uh yeah i can't remember how it came up but uh, yeah let's do that one all right that'll be an interesting pairing uh Uh so next week on the stacks we've got uh umberto solas's lucia or lucia i'm not totally sure because i haven't seen it yet (laughs) and find out well we'll uh, get it right for the we will And uh, the uh, really wild 80s Romanian animated film Delta Space Mission. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. No Uh, funny bits this time. (laughs) (laughs) Got nothing? All right. Got nothing. I'll bring one last thing up. Keep watching the stacks. No, one last thing. The the Gamera episodes, nobody listens to them. Listen to the Gamera Uh, episodes. Listen to the Gamera episodes. Also, watch Gamera. They're so much better than you think they are, especially if you come to them from Mystery Science Theater, as I did myself, because those use the inferior Sandy Frank cuts and they look much worse and are totally redubbed to match mouth movements. They're not as bad as those episodes make them look. (laughs) No, these are the Gamera movies are great. They have so much charm. (laughs) The only reason I haven't done them all is because we didn't want this to become the Gamera podcast. (laughs) But yeah, totally a recommend if you uh, enjoy the cast. Uh, Anyway, uh, thanks so much for listening. And uh, as we said, keep watching the stacks.